You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. What's going on? Welcome back to Review and Preview. It is January 18th. Kyle Russo joining me here tonight. Kyle, welcome to the show. And we have an action-packed store in for the folks tonight. Yeah, looking forward to it, Tom. We had a lot of games this football weekend, a lot of things to discuss tonight. Some good, a lot of bad for the most part, but I have a guest on later tonight as well. So an action-packed show like you just alluded to. It's going to be a lot of fun, but before we get anywhere, I just want to quickly acknowledge that four years ago tonight, Brian Marbach hosted his final show as the host of Review and Preview. We continue to remember Brian and thank him for everything he's done over the years. May he rest in peace. Brian passed away on September 24th of this past year. Kyle, it feels like it has not been almost we're, what is it now? Four months since we've lost Brian. So that's yeah, that's crazy. Really- I didn't even. I didn't, looking back on it, they're just insane to see that four months went by. I mean, I still remember when you called me that morning. Uh, the fact that we had literally had him on to celebrate a ten year anniversary. What nine, ten days prior is just absolutely insanity. But yet, it does not feel like four months at all. It was kind of like a John Madden moment, where at least. Ian got to live to see the 10-year anniversary of the show, and we know he's watching down on us tonight, hopefully very proud of the work that we've put in over the years. Folks, remember, you can follow us on all of our social media platforms on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Our free giveaway is still in motion, folks. That is right. Uh, If you share tonight's podcast and are subscribed to us on all the platforms listed on our ticker below, you will still be entered in a chance to win a free long sleeve review and preview shirt, which I'm going to have to go back in my back room and get. So for a few moments later on, Kyle is going to have to run the ship while I go run back and get that. If that's all right with you, Kyle, but sounds good. going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun revealing that winner. Um, trying to, you know, get some more engagement here, but wow. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. Obviously, we're going to talk about Super Wild Card Weekend, but we promise the folks we'll talk about them since they're a New York football team and we'll get them out of, the, out of the way, the New York Jets. We spent so much time on the Giants last week because head coach Joe Judge got fired hours before the start of our show, and we pretty much had uh, a very intense debate back and forth. Kyle, I think that might have been one of the best segments in our history of the show. So, folks, if you haven't watched that yet, Make sure to go check out that segment last week. It's up on our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. You can check out Kyle and I going at it. 
with Joe Judge and James pretty much acting as like our teacher slash principal during that segment. James was the uh, the moderator. James was yeah. the mediator at some points in time. He's <laughs> the one that had to reel us back right. in. You know, even we we were bringing it up periodically throughout the entire night as well. It didn't stop with that thirty minute segment. It went on throughout the entirety of the show. <laughs> well, we could thank one of our commenters for constantly bringing it up the Joe Judge show and. Noah Dibler from the Sports Box. But there's James with a quick comment. How about them Cowboys? Well, you know what? They stampeded their way into the stadium once the gate opened. I don't know if you saw that video, Kyle, on Sunday afternoon. They were not stampeding on their way out. No. <laughs> Good day for Giants fans when Dallas and Philly both lose in the, in the playoffs. I know I slept a lot better Sunday night knowing that they were both out. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely an entertaining weekend. Uh, you know, we didn't, to, to be quite honest, we didn't have that many great games. But to see Dallas exit out on the same day that Philly exited out, all within a five six hour span, it was, it was, it was a, it was a little victory for Giants fans. Little victory. You got to take those mini vi- You got to take those mini victories. You know, that's that's where it is. Go, go Irish, go. Yep, John, John Rankin. <laughs> Go check him out at the real tight spot on YouTube. Also, the Irish winning yesterday on Martin Luther King Day, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, excuse me, um, beating Howard. That was a good win, even though they decide to lose to Virginia Tech, who was 0-4 in the ACC on Saturday night, which pretty much ruined my night. Uh, wasn't too thrilled about that, but Notre Dame basketball stinks anyway. Um Imagine thinking running a draw play with 14 seconds and zero timeouts is a good idea. Well, I guess, Kyle, we were supposed to talk about the Jets, but I guess now we're not. That's going to have to be on hold. What did you think of that draw play called by Kellen Moore? I mean, my opinion on it is terrible play called by Moore, and McCarthy okayed it. There's so many parties at fault on that play. I mean, you could even blame Dak Prescott, but can you really? You know, it's it's just one of those plays where you're like, what the hell are you doing? I didn't – I would have preferred, especially the way they were moving up the field, like the previous three or so plays, they were getting the first down on each pass. So I'm like, keep on going to the out of bounds. But to be quite honest with you, I had no problem with the call. And again, under the pressure, under the clock, you're going to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, it's on Dak to know that you have to give the ball back to the ref. The ref has to touch it. He gave it right to the center and looked to snap it. And the ref kind of ran directly into him and kind of maybe cost him a second or two there. But you have to, as soon as that ball, as soon as you're down, as the quarterback, you got to run to the ref first. Give him the ball. Because Dak was looking to snap that ball with the center before the ref had even reached the opposite side of the field. I had no problem with the call personally. Again, it's not a good way to exit out. We'll get more in depth upon the Dallas game as a whole later on because, again, I was telling Tom prior to the show starting, you know, when people talk about, you know, a team sport and it being a team failure and maybe it's not one play you lost on, this was the the embodiment, the epitome of a team all-around failure on Sunday for the Dallas Cowboys. Because as, as bad as it looked in the third, fourth quarter being down, I think they were down 23-7 to seven at one point, yep. they had every opportunity to get back into the game. The 49ers were giving them every opportunity to get back into the game, and they just kept on they kept on hurting themselves when they were under they the did. water. 
And throwing stuff at the refs after the game, something hit the Marcus Lawrence, I believe, not very smart on the fans. But John says, you had a travel schedule and go see the Raiders beat the Flyers. I'm proud of you. Yeah, you see Hank's uh, photo went viral, flipping the bird right in front of the link (laughs) right before their playoff game on Saturday night. That was a lot of fun. But, Kyle, let's talk about the Jets. Uh, We talked about the Giants last week. The Jets wrapped up their regular season against the Buffalo Bills, which we'll have a Buffalo Bills guest on later. We've had him on twice before. I think you'll all be very happy with who we're bringing on. But Zach Wilson. This was just a disastrous game, and I get it. The Bills have the best scoring defense in the NFL, but this kid went 7 for 20, 87 yards and one touchdown. And what was even sadder is you think with those numbers, the running game would at least be efficient but or somewhat relevant. He was the leading rusher, Kyle, with 19 yards. The, the Jets only had four first downs, 53 total yards. That includes five yards passing. The Jets and the Giants pretty much epitomized each other in Week 18. They pretty much played the exact same game. It was that bad. Well, I as I wouldn't say that because as as bad as it may look, you know, final score wise, the Jets were still in this in the fourth quarter. They were they were only down thirteen to to ten in the fourth quarter against one of the best, let alone scoring defense in football, but just all-around scoring teams. I mean, we obviously have seen what the Bills are capable of doing this previous weekend against Bill Belichick, a defensive mind guy against a top-five defense in football, putting up 47 points on that defense in a playoff situation. You know, you look at the Jets, they held them close and tight up until the fourth quarter is where they really started to pull away. But if you're the Jets, knowing that you could keep it that close, again, because I don't think that anybody would have predicted that they would have been even close in the game, let alone win win the game. But to be that close through three, almost almost four quarters, that's a huge moral victory. But when you really break it down, even though Zach Wilson wasn't necessarily helping out offensively, 7 of 20 for 87 yards and a touchdown, talk about the offensive line production. Nine times they sacked him. They sacked him nine times. Well, I mean, how, how, are you supposed to, how are you supposed to win a football game getting sacked nine times? Nine yeah. times being sacked. I think they forced a fumble once or twice in the game. Buffalo's defense had a couple passes deflected. You, you defended. You can't. You can't win. The fact that, to be quite honest with you, the fact that it was that close to begin with is pretty mind-boggling. Just reading off those defensive stats, that it really shows you that even as good as the Bills' defense, uh, as good as the Bills' offense was, they really weren't turning on. They were kind of playing down to their opponent in a sense. At least the offense was. <laughs> Did the Jets run a quarterback sneak their own five asking for a friend? Oh, James had a legendary comment in our uh, – he had a legendary comment in our group chat this weekend, Tom, uh, between the two of us – between the three of us. Let me see if I can pull it up. I wanted to bring it up because I just thought it was it was so funny. because I know what you're so talking of, about. It was so out of context about. and just like uh, – so James was talking, um, he was texting us during the Sunday games, and it was the 49ers and, and Dallas game, and the 49ers had the ball with about a minute and a half left, and they were in Dallas's ter- in their own territory, probably within the five-yard line. And James goes in the group chat, he goes, why didn't the 49ers run a QB sneak? I thought that's what you do when you're on your own three-yard line. And I commented, legendary comment, James. It just 
It's so funny. It's so funny. It's just, it's ultimately, you know, say what you want to say. It's just become a meme. Even Peyton Manning last night during the Manning cast. It's, it's, it's unfortunate, but well, it is what it is. Just saying, maybe Joe Judge is smarter than all of us. Maybe Kyler Murray doesn't throw that pick six to David Long Jr. I mean, that was a Carson Wentz-esque throw right there. I'm sorry, but that was... Such, yeah, that was, a, that was just, I mean, that's that was the... Terrible. That's, that was the uh, that was the yeah he got pressured all night. We were talking about it prior to the show starting. Just not getting the protection that we knew the Rams defense was good, but the way that the Cardinals offensive line protected him all night just not a winning formula to compete in the playoff game. What's crazy when we get the Jets season? They only won four games. They had a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach, also a rookie running back, mm-hmm. need I remind us, and they had a rookie wide receiver in Elijah Moore, so a very young roster. They won half of their games against teams that are still in the playoffs right now. Not just teams that made the playoffs, but two of the final eight. That includes the two teams that are playing this weekend, the Bengals and the Titans. They beat both of those teams I, I believe one of the games was an overtime. Both were close games, but I don't know how they did it. I think one. Of, I think the Bengals game was the Mike White game where he just went off, led the yeah. lead in passing that week. But mm-hmm. man, like they punched two signature wins this season. And Kyle, I know you're. I don't know if you're necessarily high on the Jets going into next year, but you're de- you're definitely predicting them to move in the right direction and see more wins in 2022. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing with the Jets, and again, you can look at the record all you want. And again, I can't advocate for saying that I watched every single Jets game every single weekend. But when you look at the stat line, when you watch the the scoreboard read, when you go into the fourth quarter, for the most part, and don't get me wrong, they had their games where they were being blown out. You know, games yep. like the uh the Indianapolis game, even though it looks closer than it was, it really wasn't. The Buffalo game, the Patriots game, you know, they were getting blown out in those games. The Denver game, they got completely shut out, but that was early on in the season. But they competed. They stayed competitive. You know, they didn't just roll over and, and, and die in most games that they played this season. And when the injury bug hit them, they kind of rolled with the punches. I mean, we just were talking about this Buffalo game because that was the last game of the season. Look, look Look at the names. Look at the names that were on the list of Zach Wilson's most targeted uh, players in terms of people who led that week in receptions for the New York Jets. And granted, he didn't complete a lot of his passes, but the leading receiver was Ke- uh, Keelan Cole Sr. with three receptions. The next was Jameson Crowder with one. Then Tariq Black, who that was his first catch is. of the season. I don't know who that Tyler is. Tyler Croft and Jeff Smith. Denzel Mims had two targets, didn't have a catch. You didn't have Corey Davis, who you brought in to be your number one. You didn't have Elijah Moore, who at times looked like one of the better rookie receivers in this class. Probably, to be quite honest with you, with the exception of Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle, he probably looked like the third best receiver at some points in time uh, later on in the season until he got hurt. You were missing guys like Ryan Griffin. You know, they were they were an injury prone team, especially to their uh, receiving. Uh, they're receiving positional players. They were hurt all year round. And to be competitive, like I just alluded to earlier in the Buffalo uh, talk, to be competitive through three quarters, three and a half quarters of football with the Buffalo Bills, a prolific team, not only on the defensive side of the ball, but offensive side of the ball, because they played all their starters. Stephon Diggs played a full game. 
Dawson Knox, Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, Devin Singletary. They played a full game. They didn't right. play against bench people. And the fact that they were able to do that without probably four, five of their main people, the Jets, to throw to, that's, that's, that's a moral victory, in my personal opinion. Yeah, I'm not as high on the Jets as you are because of what they have in the division. Obviously, there's the coaching change with Miami. We don't know about the long-term state of the New England Patriots, you know, when Belichick's going to leave, how much longer he's going to stay. And then the Bills are probably running this thing for the next three to five years, at least, we can predict, right? Yeah. Um, play nice, gentlemen. Uh, I think we'll be playing much nicer tonight. Yeah, no, we're not talking about year. the Giants tonight, so we don't got to worry about it. And don't worry, this is not the Joe Judge show. This, this ain't some clown show uh, <laughs> podcast that you're watching. Flyers suck. That they do. That they do. They do suck, and I'm happy to say that. But the Jets, obviously, two of their four wins did come against the Titans and the Bengals, as I had mentioned. Um, what's their biggest need this offseason, Kyle? Because right now it seems like they've built a good fan. I think Joe Douglas has done a good job building this team from the ground up. He got offensive linemen in Mekhi Becton. Um, I know Morgan Moses was on a one-year deal. I wasn't a huge fan of the George Fant contract, but Elijah Vera Tucker in this year's draft, they've solidified at least a good foundation where the offensive line is getting there, and they have a rookie quarterback with young, skilled players around him. What's the biggest need for them this offseason? Is it on offense or is it on defense? What is it? I think you go a couple ways because there's no – if I've learned anything about my draft research that I've done so far, there's no real – there's no high-class receiver, high-class running back or tight end in this year's class. This class is all O-linemen, all D-linemen. And for the Jets, what I think that – and I know by saying that this might you know confuse some – I think where they're positioned right now, because they do have two top 10 picks as well, I think if I'm sitting there at four, you either have to go Evan Neal to go play right for them. Because if they could do that and then have like health on their side, because that's a big thing with the Jets as well, is that that's the other thing. They had no health this year whatsoever. If you could have Makai Becton healthy, Elijah Vera Tucker healthy, you know, maybe spruce up the center and right guard a little bit and then have – Evan Neal on that right side, that, that's beautiful. That'll be a combination in the next 10 years. That's beautiful. Or something that they've desperately needed for years now, which they never seem to invest their at least high draft picks in, is that one of the best DBs corners in football will probably be available at that time in potentially a Derek Stingley uh, with that fourth overall selection out of LSU. I would really love that for them because that's something that they need desperately. They, they haven't had corners in years, as far as I'm concerned. It's been a massive problem. They've had trouble covering some of the best receivers in the game. They could always go edge rusher if they need one. C.J. Mosley looked good this year, no doubt. They didn't get to, unfortunately, see what the, uh, what the, what the Lawson signing would do because he never played a game. LaMarcus Joyner got hurt, which was, at some points in time, uh, a very good safety. And when he was playing with them in the preseason, he looked good. The health is really a key factor. You can really go either side for them, defensive or offensive. I think being positioned in that four selection, they have a lot of choices at their disposal. And really, I, I would feel pretty confident if I'm a Jets fan because Douglas has done a great job as far as I'm concerned in the draft, that he, the players that he's brought in. 
Like he's had some he's had some key draft picks that they brought in to help improve this team. Becton, Vera Tucker, Michael Carter, Zach Wilson has looked good. Elijah yeah. Moore has looked good. Bryce Hall has looked good. They've had some good picks. They just need to keep on hitting on them, and I think that they will. Yeah, see, my biggest thing, too, is what you said. They need a cornerback. They they need a safety. They need something. For me, I don't know if Ashton Davis is cutting it. I hate bless Austin. Uh, I mean, I don't think they're very blessed to have him, no pun intended. Uh, I, I think the Jets need a corner. I think Derek Stingley Jr. at four should be the pick for the Jets. This comment from James, I think the Jets are going to be good next season. Now, good as in record-wise or good as in competitive? Because I'm looking at three teams in the AFC East that are still clearly better than them. I think if you're the Jets, you're hopeful for 6-11, and 7-10 and 10 next season. Yeah, I think that's I where, that. where, where they cap off at. I don't think they're going to be any better than that. But we'll see what Salah can do at year number two. And Dom Daniele, shout out to Dom, our YouTube channel manager, does a lot of the behind-the-scenes work for us, graphic designing as well. Do you think Jets go Stingley Jr. with their first pick? I do. At they this should. current should. time, I do. They LSU should. corner, you can't go wrong with that. No. I think, if, I think if Neil is there, which I don't think he's going to be, I think that's too sweet of an offer to pass up on. Right, just that line combination would just be insane. But if he's not there, because I think that he will be taken at that third overall selection. Although Nick Casario has come out and said that Houston is willing to trade that third overall selection in this year's draft. If he's there, I, I would go Stingley. I think cornerback is definitely a bigger need. But to pass up on Evan Neal, who people are saying are the best offensive lineman in a class that they've seen in, the draft. in years, is yeah. not not only in this draft but years is I think that could be too hard to pass up on for the Jets. If he slips the five. Oh, yeah. Well, the Giants fans were throwing a party. We're throwing a oh, party. 100%. Throwing a party. I heard rumors about Houston potentially trading down from three. I don't, I don't know how true that is. That might just oh, be yeah, some I just, smoke. Yeah, I just said that. I just said that. I think that, they yeah. would, I think that they will definitely look at it because I think if you're Houston right now, you're looking at that third overall selection. They could go anywhere like because they need everything. There, there's nothing that they don't need, essentially, on either the offensive or defensive side of the ball. But I think that, you know, it, it's kind of like last year a little bit, right, where you had a couple guys who you know were going to go at the top of the draft, and you know that some of the teams were interested in some of the quarterbacks. And then you had that one team jumped up, the 49ers, they jumped up all the way to three. And until the draft actually took place, you didn't even know who they were going to take. Now, I don't know about this year's quarterback selection, but teams are high on guys like Kenny Pickett and, and guys like Matt Corral and Malik Willis. Um, they could potentially be, especially because this quarterback class is not heavy, a team that is desperate for a quarterback like uh, you know Washington, the Washington football team is looking for a quarterback change. They could be a team uh, that, that could trade down or trade up to go get their quarterback if they think that they have their guy there. Absolutely. Steve Ellis. What's up, Steve? That pun was intended, Tom. Yes, it was. You're a smart man, Steve. Steve, big fan of Big Blue Avenue. One of our top fans watches every show, dominates the comments section. Appreciate you, Steve. Um, Big supporter of us on Twitter and Instagram as well. I know we've been chatting back and forth about who the next GM might be for the Giants. Um, We're definitely going to talk about that on Thursday night, there may even be a GM revealed by that point. We will see. Uh, next question comes from Dom. 
do you think if Houston hires Flores, Watson will stay? Tom, we actually talked about this, right? I, I kind of had sort of a, a revelation. You brought it up how, you know, Flores can be the, the top candidate for Texans. a Houston Texans team. Mm-hmm. Because of Casario, the connection. Because of Casario. There. And while yeah. I didn't I didn't disagree with that, I said to myself, the first thing was that Brian Flores, as far as I'm concerned, is like the top head coaching candidate because out of all these guys, he was a head coach before, maybe with the exception of Dan Quinn, but he was a good one. So to go to Houston, who is just a complete reset, complete rebuild, I don't know why I would do that, especially when it seems like every team wants him. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, you know, hearing the the comments of Deshaun Watson wanted to go to Miami because of Brian Flores. And now that Brian Flores may be the favorite to land in Houston, maybe, possibly, Watson would stay if he becomes the head coach. Maybe that would be a match made in heaven. Again, I don't think, personally, I think there's a better shot with Flores. I don't think there's any shot that he would return to Houston if it's any other coach. But I don't think that, I think there's just too much too much there right now for Watson to return in a Houston Texans uniform, even if it is Flores. I don't think Watson will stay. I think he's made it clear that he wants out. But I do still think that Flores-Watson combo, I don't think that's going to happen. I'll walk out on a limb and say that. I think that's very unrealistic at this point. It's not impossible. Yeah. As far as Flores being the best head coach on the market, I'm going to take a little different approach. I love Brian Flores. Obviously, he's a Giants and a Mets fan. You know, from from Brooklyn, prototypical guy that I that, you know, I'd sit at a bar, I'd have a beer with him, and I'd say, Man, you know, those Mets suck, those Giants suck. But look, I don't think he's the best head coaching candidate out there. Um, I think he's a good head coach, but I think he's a little bit overhyped. He had three seasons in Miami. He started one and seven this year, and credit to the turnaround, but it was a decline from what we saw in year number two, right? I think there is a lot of heat there with the quarterback situation with Tua, which, you know, I'll, I'll give him credit for that. Do I think the firing was justified? Absolutely not. But, I mean, three years, no playoffs. I don't think that garners best head coaching candidate out there. For me, I think the best head coaching candidate out there is Brian Dabble. Uh, I think what we saw on display Saturday night, now I know he doesn't have any head coaching experience yet. Well, yeah, that was that was my point. Is that uh, out of out of all the head coaches, coaches, he's the best one because at least he's had he's had experience. You know what he could do with the head coaching position. And although they haven't had you know playoff success, you know that especially with the one and seven season, is that the team never gave up on him. It seemed like you know to have that type of turnaround, the team never gave up on him. I like Zimmer. He's getting old though. (laughs) I, I don't. I don't. Know. Is he even getting? Is he even getting any interviews? I don't even think he's getting any interviews. Well, he he's sixty five, so I don't know if he's going to stick around for much longer or not. Um, I think Zimmer could get some interviews. I don't know if he'll get a job, but I think he's definitely worthy of interviews. Um, I do think he was part of the problem with the Vikings. I mean, we brought it up a couple of weeks ago. The Vikings should have made the playoffs this year. They had the talent. They had the roster. They beat Green Bay uh, once. So. Yeah. Steve says, I want Dabble on the Giants' sideline. I agree with you, Steve. I think with with me, the production from Dabble is just going to be insane. I think it's going to help the Giants out a lot. Um, I think 
the second most realistic candidate for the Giants, and I hate to say this, is Jim Harbaugh. I hate to say that. Um, you really think that? You really think there's 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 smoke there? There's debt. Okay, there's debt. There's definitely smoke. But from what I'm hearing, Harbaugh is very intrigued by the job. Of course, Flores is intrigued by the job as well. But um, I don't know if he's as interested in the Giants head coaching job as the media is making him out to be. Um, I think Dabble is clearly the man to beat, especially if Shane takes the GM job. So I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, look, this is all speculation right now, right? We don't even have a GM yet, so we can't really. Exactly. Zimmer is too old school for me, but he might get some looks. Can't put the cart before the horse. I hate Jim Harbaugh, Steve. There's three men that I don't want as the next head coach of of the New York Giants. It's Doug Peterson. It's Jim Harbaugh, and I'm forgetting the third. I'm forgetting the third for some reason. I texted it to to uh, oh who is it? I think Dom. Uh, boy, I have to scroll back up in the chat and pull this up. I wouldn't mind Harbaugh because you also knew that he had success in the NFL. The difference was it was it was just a long time ago. Would he still be able to do that? The biggest thing for me, at least, would dabble. Is again, and, and everybody here knows my take on Daniel Jones. But if you want a guy that has proven to develop a quarterback to take him from where Josh Allen was in his rookie year, completing 52% of his passes to putting his name just three years later in the MVP discussion oh. and earning himself a 200, what, $250 million contract this past offseason. If you want Daniel Jones to be the guy, Dabble is the best hope of him yeah. being the guy. Because that's a guy that's proven that he could develop a quarterback. Harbaugh would want control. I can't see the Giants giving him that. Yeah, I think John Mara would step in the way immediately and not let Harbaugh do his job there. I think that would end in disaster. It would completely undo what Joe Judge did. I don't want the next head coach to to completely undo what Joe Judge did. Um, But this is what I will say. That third candidate was Mike McCarthy. I know he's probably staying in Dallas, but in case – he becomes available for whatever reason. That's the third guy I do not want because the Giants were very interested in him in 2020 before he took the Dallas job. So that's that's where I'm at with that. And we'll get to these next couple comments, and then we'll start to talk about Super Wild Card Weekend. Harbaugh was able to completely turn around a 49ers team and didn't have many changes to their roster when he took over. While they also is, had a they also had ahead. a stacked defense. They had some. They had some Hall of Famers on that defense. People forget about Patrick Willis being on that defense. You forget about Anquan Bolden being on that team. Michael Crabtree, some Frank Gore, some great players were on that team. We have a really talented roster, especially on defense. Just looking at what we have: McKinney, Martinez, Bradbury, Leonard Williams. <laughs> uh, all right, let, let's let, let, let's just. Get to these comments. I think Harbaugh is using the NFL smoke for a new contract at Michigan. That's a really good point. I, th- I think you're right with that. I think he might stay at Michigan. Maybe he'll take the Raiders job. Who knows? To stay in California, have a little rivalry um, with his former team, the 49ers. Jim Harbaugh, Doug Peterson, Sean Payton. Yeah, those are the three that I'm assuming that you don't want, John. Really? I'd actually like Sean Payton if that was a – I don't think that's possible, but that wouldn't be a bad choice in my opinion. Well, fun fact, Sean Payton was our former offensive coordinator 
I know. For the beginning of the millennium. I know. Just hire me. I can stand here and make it. Steve, I would prefer you as the head coach of the Giants than Mike McCarthy. Believe me. All due respect to McCarthy, but, oh, John says he does want them. Oh, so you would like Doug Peterson and Jim Harbaugh. I again, think, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind Jim Harbaugh. And, again, Doug Peterson, Peterson. He might go I know, with the Vikings. Peterson, I know how he exited out, but I never thought that he actually did that bad of a job. Again, I think that people discredit, you know, his head coaching abilities because everybody says, you know, Frank Reich being there is the reason why the Eagles had that much success. You have to credit some of, some of that to the coach, right? Kyle, just remember one thing: when it comes to when it comes to Doug Peterson, we will never do that. As yeah. long as I'm head coach of the New York Giants, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, look, it's going to be interesting. We're going to talk more head coaches in a little bit. If you have more comments, feel free to drop them. But we're going to switch gears here and get into Super Wild Card Weekend. And Kyle, what an utter disappointment. So I've got to say, this was embarrassing that half of these teams are even in the playoffs. The Raiders, the Eagles, the Patriots, the Steelers. You could even throw Dallas in there. Dallas took advantage of a third-place schedule to help them get 12 wins this year. Yeah. Like, it's, really? It was, this was bad. This was well, really I, bad. Half these teams weren't even playoff teams, in my honest opinion. I mean, but to be honest, though, like, in in all due respect, I don't think that anybody really could have predicted. what we, With really the exception of the Tampa game and really the exception of the Kansas City game, because everybody wise, knew yeah. everybody everybody knew that was going to be a blowout. Everybody knew <laughs> the Eagles were going to have slim to no, no chance. The Pittsburgh game as well. Um, but I don't. Nobody could have predicted what happened with New England. I, I know we favored San Francisco, but they were blowing them out at one point. Twenty. We got them all right. We did get them all right. We're, we're, we got we them have, all right. And and if you want evidence, I'll I'll, sh- I'll share my screen to show you folks. But we did get them all right. And all, even all the risk games. Even even the Rams game, you know, I, I we were texting the group chat. I was I was making jokes all weekend. I'm like, maybe tonight we'll get a good game. And you saw within the first quarter, the game was over. It was like, what what is happening here? These were legitimate teams in the uh, in the regular season, and they just did not show up at all. Quickly, I want to get to this comment from Garth. Garth, hey guys, at the gym tuning in quickly to show some love and support all the way from Florida. Garth, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to check out him and Noah Fridays at 9 p.m. The Sweet Tea Show on the Sports Box. They talk about a lot of great stuff. And Garth, congratulations on not only stealing Rob Sale from the Giants, but Coach Chaos, Sean Spencer as well. He was supposed to leave for Duke. That was false. He left for Florida. So congratulations on getting Coach Chaos and Rob Sale uh napier is building a good coaching staff down south dom says mac jones is an average qb and that is his ceiling i i don't know if i agree with that i to be to make that to make that comment just one year in, one year like just one year in and granted to be quite fair and i know the people obviously obviously so with bill belichick too they give credit that, you know, he's kind of a system quarterback, a plug-and-play type quarterback, and he works perfectly in a Bill Belichick-run team. He didn't really have anybody to throw to all year. 
Like they were a run heavy team for a reason. When your number one receiver, number one and number two are Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne, they, you're not going to have that much success. And you saw that they tried to make trades. They, they tried to run the two tight end set, but John o. Smith, who we all thought was the best acquisition, was not even a factor during the season. It was really Hunter Henry, the second tight end that they signed during the offseason that was really a factor. They improved some of those positions. I think you'll start seeing him be you know, more reliant on the throw rather than the run because, again, from this game, and maybe we'll get deeper into it, I know we'll get deeper into it, yeah. is that Mac Jones is uh, Mac Jones really, uh, again, a beautiful throw that got picked off just by a better defensive play by Michael <laughs> yeah. Hyde. He was the only one that essentially showed up to Buffalo, in my personal opinion. Yeah, well, we'll let's talk about that game then while we're on it. Uh, yeah. Josh Allen had five touchdown passes. The Bills blow out New England 47-17. to 17. Allen was not sacked at all. Again, credit to Joe Shane, Brandon Bean, building that offensive line up uh, in the draft. The Bills defense also had three sacks and forced two turnovers. And let's be real. This was Mac Jones' first career playoff game. I'm a huge Eli Manning fan, and so are you, Kyle. Eli Manning's first career playoff game, three interceptions, 118 passing yards, 23 nothing blowout loss at home, and this man went on to win two Super Bowls. The second one was all behind him with all those fourth-quarter comebacks in the regular season. Yeah, I'm not saying Mac Jones is going to be Eli Manning, Dom, but, I mean, I do see where you're coming from. There are a lot of comparisons to Alex Smith. I think time will tell, but I'm not going to say Mac Jones is average just yet. He was the best rookie this year obviously he did get the most opportunity to start from day one yeah best best rookie quarterback yeah by yeah, far it wasn't in the competition but at there the same is. time it's there, like there's the comment <laughs> he just looks like a poor man's alex smith uh, tom he's so young he's so young he's barely do, played he he needs to lose a, a little weight get a little stronger mac jones is a bulky guy no but that'll that'll happen. He's a yeah. he's a rookie. I mean, that just comes with developing into that NFL system, which you saw again. While they were very heavily dependent upon the run, and they were heavily dependent upon the success of their defense to show up in big games, he won them some games himself too. Yeah. He he didn't he didn't. Again, it's not like this guy had no success in the NFL. He he played some solid NFL games. Yeah. Did he have a lot of help? Of course. Did he have help with being in a Bill Belichick system? Of course. He's a rookie. I think that comment, anybody that makes that comment personally, I think is just is on the mindset of this. And we've talked about it with the Jets is that being in a division that's stacked, especially with Josh Allen, who Tom, you gave a you gave a three, four year window. Josh Allen's only what, like 24, 25 years old. They they got like they got like a 10 year window if he Mm -hmm. keeps on the success. I think that's more so the downfall upon Mac Jones is that I think his ceiling is high, but I don't think it's going to be as high as a Josh Allen in no, that same division. No, no. So, but I, to say that he's average after one playoff game and he was the and again, my personal opinion, I don't know, Tom, if you agree with this or not, I think he was the only one that showed up in that Buffalo game. He no one game. He wasn't bad. Look at his stats. 24, yeah. 38, 232 yards, two touchdowns. He did have the two interceptions, but I mean, you're, you're playing the, the bills defense. And yeah. you're going into Buffalo, tough place to play. Rookie quarterback in the playoffs, frigid conditions. Yeah. Nine nine degrees. I'm sorry, not nine, five. It was, zero, it was like zero degrees, right? Oh, maybe you're right. I don't know with the wind chill, what it, it was. It was like zero whatever. degrees. 
but <sighs> zero degrees, no run game, this comment, rookie quarterback. This I, comment. Yeah. Money he ran comment. that same system at Alabama, made big throws and plays. Uh, I, I would agree that they held him back a little bit, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But, Steve, like you just alluded to at Alabama, you know, you had every weapon in the world to throw the football to. You yeah. had Jalen Waddell. You had Devonta Smith. You had Najee Harris out of the backfield. And you had, again, one of the best – probably one of the best offensive lines that we've seen in football in a long time, college football at least, <laughs> in terms of being solidified. You had guys like Evan Neal. You guys – you had guys like uh, Landon Dickerson. I know I'm missing yeah. a couple other names. Alex Leatherwood, who at least when he was playing in college was one of the most highly touted offensive linemen in college football. But now being in a Bill Belichick system, another fantastic offensive line, great defense, two solid tight ends, a really good running back by committee system. Just need some good wide receivers. Held them back because they, I don't think he necessarily had the people to throw the football to. No, his best receiver all year, you could argue, was either Jacoby Myers or Kendrick Bourne. That's not cutting it. No. Um, Dom says most of the year he threw check downs and his receivers and running backs padded his stats with the run after the catch. Well, yeah, you could argue that as well. But at the same time, the guy's a rookie. The guy's yeah. a, a rookie quarterback. And a lot of times you're going to throw check downs. Eli Manning's rookie year, not a single wide receiver. I'm sorry. Was it 2004 or 2003? I, I forget what year it was. I think it was 2004. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was either 03 or 04. Not a single Giants wide receiver scored a touchdown. Not a single one. So, you know, there are a lot of checkdowns thrown that year as well. You saw a lot of Jeremy Shockey, a lot of Tiki Barber, Derek Ward. I mean, look, it's the same thing here in New England. A lot of Brandon Bolden, Damian Harris. They won games running the football. John Gonzalez says Mac Jones will be fine. He just has to develop physically, hit the weight room, lose some baby fat. Um, yeah. Steve believes it was 04. I believe you're correct, which the reason why I hesitated was because Kurt Warner started the year and the Giants started 5-2, five 5-3. And, and, and I just assumed that receivers caught touchdowns, but apparently that was not correct because I think I kill your Namani Toomer both went down. Something happened, um, but – yeah, I believe it was 04. I was only like nine years old. So, uh, but anyway, Kyle, the Bills scored a touchdown on every single drive except for the final drive where they just sat on the ball to end the game with Mitch Trubisky. Unbelievable. This was the perfect offensive game against the second best defense in football. Yep. Brian Dabble is the best head coaching candidate on the close. The Giants are close to getting this guy. I just, you know what it is, Tom? I don't, I don't want to, again, like I said, you before, don't want to, don't want to put the cart before the horse. All right. Again, when you, <laughs> when you don't even have the GM yet, we're already, we're already hyping on a, a coach. That's not even, hasn't even interviewed for the job yet. We're already talking about a head coach for the Giants. Wait a minute. You were nine years old in 04. Damn, I feel old. Steve, I'm a lot younger than I look. Um, I get, I, I think when, when Kyle first met me, Kyle, I think you thought I was a teacher at post um, <laughs> or a teacher assistant. You, you thought I was an actual employee of the school, didn't you? That was funny. That was funny. Yeah. Oh, I man. am 26, Steve. That is my current age. Um, 
Kyle's not anywhere near 26, in case you were wondering. Uh, 21. Uh, all right. Almost there. Neither Toomer nor Hilliard had touchdowns. Yep. Andy Hopper in the comments section. Make sure to go subscribe to him at the Brew Party Podcast. And they said Mitch would never win a playoff game. Mitch Trubisky advancing to the divisional round and advancing to a contract with the Giants next year as Daniel Jones' backup quarterback. Hey, man. Potentially. Not his fault Cody Park. He missed that field goal against the Eagles. Not his fault. Um. How much does offensive coordinators – how much does Brian Dabble's stock rise after this game, Kyle? Because I think he is red hot right now. I it's, think he's number one, not just for the Giants, but for other teams too. Oh, yeah. You, you you do that to a defense in a playoff game, and then on top of that, the, the, the whipped cream, the cherry on top, you do that against Bill Belichick's defense. I mean, that's – that's incredible. I don't, Tom. We've never seen. I, I think a stat came out is that the Patriots haven't been blown out that badly since 1990. I, I mean, Bill Belichick took over in 2000 by the, Bills. by the Bills. So that's never, that's never happened to a team he's assembled. I've actually, I actually wanted to text you guys earlier. I don't know why I didn't when that happened, and saying to myself, has Bill Belichick ever had a team that let up seven touchdowns in a game? I, I don't think Maybe that's ever the Browns happened. head coach. He was the Browns head coach. I, I, yeah, I was just talking about as yeah. the for the for the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, in that Super Bowl against the Eagles, I know they give a lot of points, but seven touchdowns. That's I don't think I've ever seen that before. At least against Bill Belichick. That doesn't happen to Bill Belichick. That didn't happen to the Patriots. We're talking about 1990. That was 32 years ago. That's been a non-factor in the the basically the existence of their franchise that hasn't been a factor, and in a playoff game, that's why I'm saying, Dom, you're going in on on Mac Jones. Mac Jones is the guy who showed up. That defense just they didn't they didn't show up at any point in that game. Kyle, I want to keep this back and forth going, but the comment section is blowing up tonight, so we got to keep pinning them. Love it. Dabble and Shane are why I'm strongly pulling for Buffalo. I think that's the combo most Giant fans want right now. Um, I wouldn't mind Ryan Poles or Adam Peters either. Joe Hortz is as well. Mm-hmm. Allen is a horse, has all the physical tools. Yeah, he's um, he's a special quarterback. I don't think that we've ever – with that type of build, that type of ability, I don't think we've ever – is there even a comparison, Tom, to what he does with the football at that size? Well – I mean, Cam Newton, but Cam Newton was never as accurate as a quarterback as Josh Allen's been. People were very hype about Patrick Mahomes, but you could argue right now that, I mean, Josh Allen's starting to look like him a little bit. (laughs) We'll talk about that when they play each other (laughs) this weekend. Yeah, we'll we'll have that segment coming around 9 p.m. We're having a long show tonight, guys. We're going to be interviewing Greg Tomset, host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast. He is a Buffalo Bills fan, and, you know, he, he does some work with the team, and Dom says, if the Bills continue to play like this, they will be very hard to stop. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Dabble called a masterpiece. He destroyed that defense. 1990 was the worst season in Pat's history. 1-15 finish. Uh, was Pete Carroll the head coach of that team? He might have been. I don't know for sure, but you might be right. The Bills will be KC. Ooh. And that is not a hot take, by the way. That is a very, very fair statement by John Gonzalez. 
He took he, Tom, he took it back. He took it back in the next comment. Oh. I take that back. <laughs> oh, that's that's too funny. I, I have glasses for a reason. Um I like Adam Peters. He is my choice. Fair. I could see Peters. Look, great organization. He works for uh, Rod Rust. Rod Rust, yeah, nineteen ninety. Yeah, I was just looking was. that up. Yeah. Dom says, I think the Bills will be KC. Dom, I don't know. Are, are we hovering over that Buffalo money line on Sunday? I don't know, man. It's, it's so going to be something. It's so hard to pick that game. All good, John. All good. I mean, look, it, it's going to be close. I think the line shrunk from two and a half to two. So that's going to be interesting. But next game I want to talk about, uh, we're going to pin this comment from Steve. Uh, about Kyler Murray. Gosh, there's been so many. Um, oh, boy. Oh, the Cardinals fans are burying the Cardinals here in Arizona. All of a sudden, Kyler is too small, but they loved him a month ago. For yeah, this, that uh, this uh, they, they, they love you when you're good. They'll hate you when you're bad, and they'll hone in on it, right? Yeah. The amount of people that were loving Mac Jones – and now you got comments like Dom saying he's an average QB at the most in his rookie year. The entirety of his career will just be average. Same thing with Kyler. First playoff experience. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that he never looked the same after he came back from that injury. Nobody wants to talk about that. That while the defensive, while the defensive scheme of the Rams is one like no other, let alone the roster on that defense is one like no other. Nobody wants to talk about how the offensive line didn't protect him all night. Nobody wants to talk about how he was missing DeAndre Hopkins, who's his number one receiver. And while he had some good receivers, you got to look at it this way. Is that Jalen Ramsey, the number one corner out there, if he's guarding DeAndre Hopkins, if he's playing, that means other guys like Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore and A.J. Green and Zach Ertz, they get the feet off that. Jalen Ramsey goes into that game last night. Easy assignment. You, you, you're guarding a, a, an A.J. Green. You're guarding a Christian Kirk all night. That's no DeAndre Hopkins. Great uh, players. Yeah. But that's no DeAndre Hopkins. And credit to Matthew Stafford winning his first playoff game of his career as well. Uh, 186 starts before his first postseason victory. That was the most starts in NFL history before winning his first postseason game. That includes the regular and postseason. He was 0-3 as a starter for the Lions in the playoffs. And Stafford on the night only threw 17 passes, completed 13 of them for 202 yards and two touchdowns. When you have running backs like Sony Michelle and Cam Akers, you don't need to throw the football. Nope. There were three people I'm particularly close with that all were trying to convince me that the Cardinals would win this game that they would win this game because they were undefeated with J.J. Watt in the lineup. Real cute. Real <laughs> cute. Uh, I mean, how can you pick against Sean McVay <laughs> and the L.A. Rams in this game? I mean, boat, boat race. Yeah. That. Hey, Noah, I took that, that turn for, from you, buddy. Also, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. The winner of the free giveaway will be revealed a little bit later on in the show. Free review, preview, long sleeve shirt. Uh, going to be very interesting to see who that will be. Um, but stay tuned for that. Yeah, I mean, Von Miller, three tackles for loss and a sack. Your boy had a 40-yard pass. Odell scored his first <laughs> I three. Listen, man, I'm smiling from ear to ear. 
I, I thought of you when that happened. I'm like, Kyle's probably jumping for joy, right? Oh, now. I was. I was so. Oh, when he caught the first touchdown of the game, I I couldn't have been happier. I could not have been happier. <laughs> um, gotta give Jones and Murray credit. Young QBs and made the playoffs. Jones is what twenty. Yeah, Jones is like twenty two, I believe. Yeah, he's a he's an older rookie. Noah Pogreen, he's applying for that trademark. Yeah, we can't use it anymore if you if you trademark it. So go for it. Cooper Mac, Cup as well. Mac Jones is twenty three, actually. Okay, but, but yeah, still, again, he's still a rookie. Yeah. He's a rookie. Dom loves uh, <laughs> hating on Mac Jones. Yeah, Kyler Murray threw that nightmare pick six to David Long Jr. My question to you is this, Kyle. Should the Cardinals have run a quarterback sneak on that play? Now, <laughs> granted, they were, they were inside their own 5-10 yard line. It was third and long. He threw a Carson Wentz-esque type of throw. Two days. Here with the game. Should they, took a, should, they, should they have taken a play out of Joe Judge's playbook and run a QB sneak on that third and long? And this is a serious question. No. Uh, Kyler doesn't stand at that. No, Kyler. For Kyler personally, I don't think he stands at that physical a physical build to QB sneak the ball efficiently. Um, just not having the size on, on his side. Again, this all comes down to just nothing to do with play calling. Just has to do with lack of experience in the playoffs, and, and we all knew that would be a factor in, in a lot of these games with the Raiders, with the Bengals, with the with the Arizona Cardinals, with the, with the Patriots, again, Bill Belichick leading the squad, but the roster, you know, a lot of these teams, Philadelphia. Yeah. A lot of them, but with Kyler in this play, it's, you just got to be smarter with the football again, pressed up in the end zone. Offensive line, like Steve alluded to is not very good because Kyler like Steve alluded to as well. He hid the flaws of the offensive line because he's known as one of the best or probably the best scrambling quarterback in all of football, getting first downs and, and carrying them really offensively when not only it comes to the pass but the run game as well. You know, having guys like Chase Edmonds as well to take the pressure off, having guys like James Conner to take the pressure as well. At that point in time, you got to throw the football because you're down big. I think they were down 14 nothing, and nothing was going on their side. But if you know you got a guy right behind you, just – Give up the two points rather than the seven, or you just got to aim, aim out of bounds. But you can't, you can't do that though. You can't have that kind of play. But again, that's all comes with lack of experience. That all comes with learning. And I think you're going to see a different team next year as well. And again, to really tie this up in a knot, this argument, he was never the same when he came back from the injury. And I think that also had a huge part to do with these lack of ability to scramble the way that we all know he can. I believe he got injured. He hurt his ankle when he got hurt. He was yeah. out for three something weeks, three yeah, he four was weeks. Banged up. And the problem is, his best offensive lineman is Justin Pugh, who was also the best offensive lineman on the Giants a few years back. <laughs> and he's proven to be a piece of glass throughout the course of his career. I'm glad he's been a solidified left guard now. He's a captain for them and he stayed primarily healthy, but their line is not good, guys. Not at all. I'd rather take the safety, honestly. Yeah. I would have taken the safety at that point because you're throwing it up for grabs. And I mean, you think you're going to throw it away, but uh, you know, two points turned into seven points relatively quickly. 
James back flirting in the comments section. Boat raced. I it was I the Rams it. night. They played extremely well, but they won't beat Tampa. We'll get to that in just a little bit, John. The Rams manhandled them, period, and Cliff Kingsbury got exposed as a play caller and coach, in my opinion. That's another thing I wanted to bring up. It was a, it was getting a little um, what's the word I'm looking for? That uh, tense, you know. It was getting a little animated in the second half of that game. I mean, the Cardinals were down by a lot. I mean, 34-11, that's a huge mountain to climb, right? And there was a little – there were some scuffles going around. And Sean McVay was on the field trying to get his players out of there. And Cliff Kingsbury, he's just sitting there on the headset looking to call the, the next play. I mean, there's the difference right there between Sean McVay and Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, I yeah, but you, you you know that you know that in a in a head coach that Sean McVay is that type of coach. I mean, we were just seeing if you remember watching the last game of the season, the Four Niners against the Rams. You know, Sean McVay was the one running all the way down from the fifty yard line, celebrating in the end zone with Van Jefferson when he caught the touchdown, or yeah, Tyler Higby when he caught the touchdown. That's just who he is as a coach. I can't. Yeah. I don't. I don't blame anybody for not wanting to get involved in a scuffle with Aaron Donald nonetheless I don't I don't blame anybody for doing that unless you're Nick Gates yeah unless you're Nick Gates Carson Wentz would have been proud of that pick (laughs) I'm an OBJ fan glad he caught a touchdown well yep this guy right here is also an OBJ fan love it love it so much Matthew Stafford told Kyler you must be this tall to get a playoff win ouch Stafford still has a lot to prove, in my personal opinion. I know we're talking about happy that Stafford got this one. first game, but there was nothing really flashy about his stats, and, and we'll get into it when we talk about the Rams yeah. versus Tampa. There's going to be a whole different game plan put together against this Tampa team, and which is going to have to have uh, Matthew Stafford really be the primary reason to why they win. Well, the thing is he didn't have to throw the ball that much because the defense had that one touchdown. Uh, the running game was very efficient. I think yeah, Sony Michelle had like a 30-yard run on their first play from scrimmage. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. They were – but Rams move on. Uh, Cardinals, two turnovers. Murray with the two picks. The last NFC game we're going to talk about now is the Bucks. As the Fog would say – bodied the Philadelphia Eagles out of the first round of the playoffs. I remember when we had the fog on a few weeks back, he's like, yeah, the Eagles are going to just get into the playoffs to get bodied in the first round. And the fog was right. That's exactly what happened. Uh, Tom Brady came to play. He did get sacked four times though. Granted uh, Tristan Wirfs and Ryan Jensen both left with injuries. Very concerning that, Worfs tried to return, left after one play. I believe he's dealing with a sprained knee or something along those lines. And the Bucs were already an injury-plagued offense. No Chris Godwin for the rest of the season. Antonio Brown, we know that uh, circus situation there. Uh, Leonard Fournette did not play. Ronald Jones is done. And now you have lineman issues. It's concerning. I know Jensen came back and played, which was good, but... I mean, this just goes to show you how good Tom Brady is, man. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, Giovanni Bernard each had a touchdown in this game. Gronkowski and Evans are still there. They each scored a touchdown. Mike Evans was the guy. 117 yards, nine catches, touchdown. Darius Slay could not cover Mike Evans all day long. He couldn't. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. 
Odell was not the problem in Cleveland. And he wasn't with the Giants either, Dom. And you're seeing that. I disagree with the second part of Kyle's statement. (laughs) Maybe he wasn't – you could argue that Odell wasn't the problem, but I think he was part of the problem with the the Giants. Uh, Everybody wants to knock Kingsbury, but he has gotten the best out of Murray in the cards, had a winning season, and made the playoffs. Yeah, again, Um, he's hurt, didn't have a good O-lineman, and missing his number one receiver. Where did Sony Michelle go to college? That's an easy answer, Noah. Georgia. Yeah. You're Georgia Bulldogs, Noah. Uh, <laughs> did I did I miss the Cowboys talk? No, you did not, James. You did not. That you did not. Um, that's actually coming up. Laughing at all the Eagles fans who asked me when's the next Giants game as they watch their hockey team proceed to lose their seventh in a row before the boat racing that occurred in Tampa Bay. Oh my God! And you can boat race in Tampa Bay because it's Florida. You got the you got the ocean right there, the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, uh, man, but oh my God! Uh, Jalen Hurts' first playoff start looked awful. A twenty point one QB rating. Majority of those yards came in garbage time. Had two picks. He was the leading rusher with 39 yards. The Eagles could not get a running game going against that Bucks front. Vita Vea is such an underrated player. The Bucks had Shaq Barrett back, Levante David back, good reinforcements defensively. I don't care how many weapons the Bucks are down. Their defense is strong right now. They're very, very intact, and that's what helped them get to the point that they were at last season, right? It wasn't just Tom Brady. They had a stout defense, and, you know, I think that could – they're going to be relying on that defense in these upcoming games, whether, you know, if they move on to beat the Rams and play the Packers or the 49ers in the NFC championship, that defense is going to have a big role. I mean, look, look what they did to Philadelphia. I mean, Goddard had 92 receiving yards. They took away their perimeter weapons and Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins and Jalen Rager. So yeah. <laughs> Jalen Rager's fumble was funny. Yeah, it was just that's why I wanted to say I know because I know we're talking about the game. I'm again, I'm not defending the Eagles in any manner whatsoever, but the play calling was very suspect. Devonta Smith didn't even have a second catch until the fourth quarter. So that's your number one receiver, essentially. Jalen Rager fumbling Mm -hmm. the football. We've known his issues all year round with holding on to the ball. Dallas got it's a great tight end, but that can't be your number one. Jalen Hurts was obviously overthrowing some balls, no doubt about it, but. At the same time, the offense was not put in a good position to, to have any success whatsoever. They completely abandoned the run game, only seven attempts for Miles Sanders. They just they, they did not look good all day on the offensive side of the ball. And the defense was actually – I don't know how you felt about it, Tom. They actually surprised me because that was re- – ultimately they were getting blown out, but they still stayed quite stout in my tough. personal opinion. Yeah, they Four were tough. Sacks. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Um. I thought the linebackers were good. Yeah. Secondary, not so much, but the front seven is their is, is their strength. Fletcher Cox, yeah. Javon Hargrave, you know, those guys. Yeah. Singleton, TJ Edwards. They're good. They're good. Yeah. Um the Evans and Ramsey matchup should be great next week. Should be. Mm-hmm. Eagles have three first round picks. One of them will be the kid from South Jersey, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. We'll see if he falls that low, John. I don't know. They might have to trade up. It seems uh, like I'm he's a, so happy Howie Roseman's still their GM. 
It seems like he's the prized possession at quarterback, at least at this point in time, especially because Corral got hurt in the bowl game. He is the, uh, he's the prized quarterback. The birds had a good O line. That's getting old, John. Uh, yeah, Lane Jason Johnson, Kelsey. Jason Kelsey. Um, that Maliata guy is pretty good, but I know they drafted Dickerson, but they, they got some old contract. Brandon Brooks as well. Eagles committed three turnovers. They were bound to fail. Tampa Bay moves on. Next up, we'll talk about the Niners and the Cowboys in Jerry World. <laughs> Roseman will screw it up. Huh? High percentage statement. Pretty <laughs> confident in that. Niners upset the Cowboys 23-17, to as Kyle and I both predicted, in Jerry World. Open the gates. Fans come stampeding in, and they quietly walked out. Uh, Jimmy G in this game, 16 to 25, did not throw a touchdown pass, had one interception, also dealt with a sprained shoulder in that game. So they relied heavily on the run game with Elijah Mitchell, who had a touchdown. Devo Samuel had a rushing touchdown as well. And Kyle, I don't know, I don't know about you, but the way Mike McDaniel operates this offense makes me think he's going to get a head coaching job sooner than later. He is very, very talented. And his playbook really just confused Dan Quinn's defense all game long. Um, they got out to an early lead, and I, I thought they had a really darn good performance. I thought they had a good performance, but, you know, you're talking about McDaniel, Shanahan. I mean, that's the offensive yeah. guru, although he's the head coach. That's that's the guy that's, you know, when you start looking at how they use Debo Samuel and they start looking at Elijah Mitchell and Brandon Ayuk, who was basically – not even a factor throughout the entirety of the regular season. You're now seeing him come alive, or at least towards the latter part of the season. That's when he started coming alive. But five receptions, 66 yards, George Kittle only having one catch, and they still be able to win this game? Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty crazy to to show how much they use their offensive weapons and, and to their strengths. I mean, Kyle Shanahan has stated that the reason why they're using that Debo Samuel the way that they are is because he's built like a running back. And yeah. You see, again, I don't, I don't really see that, but he trucks over. He is impossible to tackle. the the amount of the, the amount of bodies that it takes to tackle him, bring him to the ground, is insanity. Ten rushes, seventy two yards, and one touchdown. And the speed behind him too. As soon as as soon as Dak turned over the football, that first play with inside the thirty yard line, twenty five yard line, Debo Samuel runs from one end of the field, cuts back runs through the middle, and just outruns every Dallas defender into the end zone. Debo is so criminally underrated, it's not even funny. You know, I was talking about it a couple weeks ago, Hank, how, you know, when we were talking about the head coaches and I was advocating for Matt Rule to keep his job, missing arguably the best, most versatile weapon in all of football. I think that crown goes to Debo Samuel now. I don't know how you feel, Tom, but he, he does everything. He does everything. And he does everything at a high, efficient level. The fact that you have 10 rush attempts and gained 72 yards and a touchdown. Then you have three receptions for 38 yards. And again, it doesn't sound too flashy, at least from the receiving game, but that's because they didn't, they didn't have to. Again, this game ended close, but they were winning this game 23-17 to 17, midway through the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, he was also the second leader in receiving yards this year behind Cooper Cup, had over 1,400 receiving yards. So I think that yeah. in itself tells you something, right? He's a good receiver and he also helped out in the run game i don't know if he's the best explosive playmaker in all of football but he's up there i'd say top two or top three for sure debo yeah. is is a dog the dude is underrated man a lot of debo love in the comments section from dom as well 
He's one of the most explosive playmakers in the NFL, most underrated wide receiver. Yeah, I agree. George Kittle only had one catch. I mean, the 49ers had so many playmakers, they didn't need all of them. Brandon Ayuk had five catches. Um, a lot of people picked the Niners. I have to be honest, I had the boys. I thought Lawrence Parsons and Gregory would be all over Jimmy G, but the penalties killed them. And John, Very not only not on only did the penalties kill them, but they didn't record one sack. No. The whole team had no sacks. Really sad. The 49ers offensive line was great. Uh, meanwhile, the 49ers had five sacks on deck. Now, they did lose Nick Bosa to a, a concussion, but that's I huge. Arik Armstead stepped it up. Solomon Thomas. I mean, these guys did a really good job filling in the void. Um, you know, the leading receiver was Dalton Schultz, seven catches for 89 yards. So, again, they took away the perimeter. Cooper had six for 64 and one touchdown, but C.D. Lamb only had one catch the entire game. Emmanuel Mosley was great in the secondary. I mean, the Niners were the better football team on Sunday. And to be honest with you, the Cowboys play in a relatively weak NFC East. I'm still going to throw the Eagles in the weak category because of how weak their schedule was in the second half of the season. It was almost a cakewalk for them to make the playoffs. Dallas took advantage of the poor division this year. They were the favorites, and rightfully so. And I'm not shocked they were upset by the 49ers. They were only two games apart in record. These two teams, 49ers, played in a much tougher NFC West, and they beat the Rams the week before. To get them into the playoffs. They had to win the game. So – it was very smart to pick the 49ers in this game. If you did, I know both of us did, and it turned out to be true. I'm very happy about that. What I will say is this, because I did pick the 49ers like you, Tom, but to be quite honest with you, I think Dallas should have won this game. And I, and I talked oh. to you before, I talked to you before the, the show about what I wanted to say upon this game. You know, when you talk about football as a team sport and when you talk about you know, everybody's responsible for the loss. Really, everybody in this case was responsible for the loss. There's no one reason why they lost. Everybody was at fault. You start off with the OC in, in Kellen Moore, right? Who I've been very high on this year. I, I, I think he's going to get a. Ho- I think he's going to get a ho- head coaching job. I, I think he will. And if it's not this year, it'll be the next year because this offense is great. But the fact that you only get Ceedee Lamb the ball one time, how does that happen in a football game? Yeah. How does that happen? Then you look at, now you hear after the game that Ezekiel Elliott has been playing through a torn PCL. How does Tony Pollard, who arguably the, the two of them are probably one of the best tandems in, in terms of running backs in football, how, do, how does he not get more touches? At least, forget about the run game. How about the passing game? How does he not get more touches? Good. Then you go to the, the defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, who I think he's definitely going to get a head coaching job. This was one of the most... Uh, again, you knew to beat the 49ers. You knew to beat any team. Dallas, while their defense was ranked at the top throughout the year and towards the end of the year, their bread and butter was this. They were heavily def- dependent upon making the opposing team turn the football over and cashing in. They just did not do that. They forced one turnover late in the game with Anthony Brown picking off Jimmy Garoppolo. They didn't record a sack. No fumbles were forced. And they played on undis- undisciplined football. 
They played undisciplined football. The amount of penalties, a lot of those penalties, the 14 of those penalties, a lot of those were on the defensive side of the ball. And that's where you go to McCarthy and why his job is being in question. That's a postseason franchise career. That's a postseason franchise tied record, I think, for the Dallas Cowboys for most penalties in a postseason game in their franchise history of 14. Coaching goes down to this. You are NFL football players, and you have to, again, there is, there's a skill set there. You've been playing the game for years. But the amount of penalties, that's all upon discipline and what your head coaching is bringing to the table, even down to the wire. When you see that fourth and one situation with Debo Samuel and, and, they're, and they're running the football and then uh, uh, Gallimore, Neville Gallimore, uh, just has a, has a bad offsides or, and then they uh, force them to get a first down. There's just so many penalties in this game. That's where it comes into question. And people are talking about how uh, Dak didn't show up. Dak, by no stretch of the imagination, did not have a good football game. No doubt about it. But people are really going heavy on him for, for that run play. I have no problem with the run play. What I have the problem is, is that, again, I know it's a tight situation. You're underneath the wire, but you have to be better in that type of situation. You know, these are things that you practice in practice for these types of moments, under the wire moments. And you have to know that you have to, the referee has to touch the ball first. He was looking to snap the ball. He was looking to snap the ball. And while Steve here, maybe if Dak showed up for all four quarters, they might have won. There was under 26. But Steve, uh, Steve, you're absolutely right. He, he barely completed about 50% of his passes. He did throw a costly turnover, which resulted on the very next play of a Debo Samuel touchdown. But what, what, what we're learning is, is that the play calling really wasn't so good, and he wasn't put in a good situation. All these times we thought, you know, how many years have we thought that Dallas had a great offensive line? It showed on Sunday that they really don't. Tyron Smith was getting uh, rushed. Uh, Nick Bosa was taking advantage. Arik Armstead was taking advantage. Uh, Ekbaum was taking advantage. Their center stinks. Their center is, is not good. Yeah, no. uh, Baidaz, Yeah, not very good. Connor Williams, not very. Lyle Collins, not very good. Again, knowing that Ezekiel Elliott is dealing with a torn, partially torn PCL, why are you not playing it for Tony Pollard? Yeah, he's not a he's not a bad running back at all. In fact, he's really good in terms of a backup. He's probably one of the best in the league. It's a I full love, team loss. I love where Dallas is at. And Brian Attard <laughs> posted it after the game. There's no difference. You're paying a quarterback six hundred thousand and forty million, and you get the same results. You get the same results. Yeah. Uh, McCarthy will be at Dallas next year. Then Moore will take his place. I mean, look. Here's what I think about Kellen Moore. I think he is one of the most overhyped offensive coordinators in football. Oh, uh, I don't think he deserves a head coaching job this year. If you call a quarterback draw with under 20 seconds left, I mean, who's to blame? You need to take a shot at the end zone. I mean, you need to th- keep throwing towards the sidelines. That's what they were doing that whole drive. And then when the 49ers decide to move, finally decide to make an adjustment and move their corners to the boundaries, you decide to run a quarterback draw. Yeah, you should throw the football were... over the middle of the field because then less time will tick off the clock, and then you could spike the ball and take one more shot. But with that play, why, why I liked it, Dak got 17 yards out of that. I don't know if you would have been able to get that with a play across the field. Like you said, that secondary was suffocating their wide receivers all day long. He had a beautiful gap right up the middle to run straight up. It's just about timing better. I wouldn't call it. That, that's just me personally. I wouldn't call it. But, I mean, should McCarthy – McCarthy okayed this play from Kellen Moore. And whether you agree or disagree with the play call, 
McCarthy obviously did not have his best game coaching wise. Should he remain the Cowboys head coach, Kyle? I think a matter of should, I don't think so. Because what I do know about this is that while we may sit here and and make fun of Dallas and all this stuff, every head coaching candidate that we have mentioned would dream of the idea of becoming the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. That job would instantly be the most coveted job on the market if that's the case. Yeah. But I think that he's going to remain the head coach. Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones have already advocated for the fact that he will be there. My biggest thing with McCarthy, I have, again, no problem with the call. But while play calling has been suspect all year round to tie a franchise record for most penalties in a postseason game, you can't yeah. – I, I, personally, I don't know how you come back from that. That's, again, these are NFL players. you got to be more disciplined, but unfortunately that falls on the head coach. And unfortunately, they had 14 of those penalties, which really cost them a playoff game. Again, uh, the, look how tight this score was. You knew that Jimmy Garoppolo, when they forced him to play quarterback, he was going to turn the football over. He did that. But because of the amount of penalties that they endured, they dug themselves too deep a hole. Yeah, I do agree. I'd like McCarthy to stay as head coach of the Cowboys because that – Helps the Giants out, in my opinion. Uh, no great coach is going to Dallas. Jones wants a yes, man. True? I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, McCarthy will be back. You can count on it. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah, look, it didn't come down to the last 14 seconds. The 49ers, they were just the better team. They're likely to lose Dan Quinn. And the Cowboys have now won just three playoff games since 1997. You were wow. smiling from the beginning to end of that statement. That one time they did. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Uh, now at this time, we're going to announce our winner of the free review and preview long sleeve shirt. Um, actually, I got to go back and get it, <laughs> Kyle. So if you want to take over for just a minute. You'd start to talk about the Raiders-Bengals game, and then I'll be back momentarily. Sounds good, Tom. So everybody with the Raiders-Bengals game, this is this was an interesting one for me. I personally had the Bengals in this game. I, I really liked them. I thought that they were going to win. Personally, I did not think it was going to be this close, as close as it was. I, I thought the Raiders did an excellent job. I think really where the tables had turned and, and what everybody knows that I'm about to bring up is – that play call, or not the play call, but the officiating job, which unfortunately, for the Raiders' case at least, is that by rule, whether it's an inadvertent whistle or not, if the whistle is blown, the play is instantly called dead or uh, redone once again if an inadvertent whistle is blown, and which did happen on that infamous Joe Burrow touchdown where he connected with Tyler Boyd in the end zone. If that whistle is blown and the receiver does not have the ball before the whistle is blown, they were supposed to redo that play. Unfortunately, they did not for the Raiders' sake. And so when you really break down this game, you look at the final score of 23, um, of excuse me, 26 to 19, and especially the way it ended too, because that game ended with a pick by Jermaine Pratt of the Cincinnati Bengals right at the one or two yard line. The Raiders drove all the way down the field. It's really unfortunate. Again, we talk about it all the time in sports when, you want the players, you want the teams to decide the fate of their own destiny. But when you have something like the officiating crew ultimately 
make a call like that and make a mistake like that and to prove how much of a mistake it was, the NFL has announced that that crew will not be working in the rest of the postseason. And you never like to say that one play cost them, but I think that with a Raiders crew that was already uh, going in with not many weapons to throw to, Darren Wall, this was his first game back in five games. You had Hunter Renfro, who looked good. Ryan Edwards looked okay. But all the trials and tribulations that they went through this year to have something like that not go their way, it's really unfortunate. Am I happy for the Bengals? Of course. Uh, do I like where they're going? Of course. I think they have a really good shot this week against the Tennessee Titans. But to see what happens to the Raiders on this previous Sunday, this previous Saturday, it's just an unfortunate thing. Yeah. Um, credit to Rick Passaccia for keeping his team in the game. I thought the officials were really bad, but congrats to the Bengals winning their first playoff game in 31 years. Yeah. Uh, finally, um, a text message has been sent after the Bengals have won a playoff game. Very fun game to watch. Joe Burrow, his first career playoff start, two touchdown passes. C.J. Uzoma had a touchdown. Jamar Chase, nine catches, 116 yards in his first playoff game. And what really hurt was Bengals had three sacks, one of them from former giant B.J. Hill, who was very active on that defensive line. And then Zach Teller apparently gave away the game ball to fans in a bar. I don't know if you heard about that. I don't think he, he didn't give it away. He was bringing it what, what he was planning on doing. They were going to just go to multiple bars throughout the night in Cincinnati to go celebrate, you know, throughout the city with that game ball. And that's, and that's really cool. I know we were talking about what Zach Taylor did. Did you see what uh, Rich Passaccia did? Um, did you see that picture of him in the hotel room writing yes. individual letters to each one of the that, – that, that's incredible. Yeah, That's incredible. And I know we talked about it that he – I think he deserves another year to show what he could do, especially how he turned this team around. You know, when all fate was lost, all hope was lost, they won four straight to get themselves in the playoff. And, again, when it comes down to a play like that in this game, because we're just talking about it, Tom, the, the infamous inadvertent whistle. And then even to the remaining couple seconds left in the fourth quarter, Derek Carr brought them all the way down the field, and that Jermaine Pratt interception for the Bengals was on the one- or two-yard line. They connect in the end zone. They win the football game. Or at least they go to overtime, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see if the Raiders retain Rich Passaccia, local native of not of uh, Yonkers, New York, not too far from here where we host the show. So definitely uh, very fun. But now it's time to announce the winner of the review and preview long sleeve shirt. And obviously it has the – our new patch logo in the front here, as you can see, and in the back, it has our clear logo. It's gray. It's pretty big. And congratulations to the winner, Noah Dibler from the Sports Box. Congratulations, Noah. You have won this lovely free review and preview long gray sleeve T-shirt. This is yours. Um, please message me for your information. Um, we'll get this to you. I know uh, we'll have to ship this out to you, but make sure you give me uh, your contact info, your address, and we'll get this all squared away. But congratulations to Noah Dibler from the sports box. And uh, oddly enough, I don't think he's watching right now. So I'm not sure if he's aware. <laughs> so 
we're just going to leave this up for just a little bit. Uh, and the, uh, yeah, Basaccia does deserve to be back. Hey, Deanna's in the comments section, and there I am. Yeah, that's my girlfriend. <laughs> Thank you so much for commenting. Um, congratulations, says John. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, let's go back to the Bengals game. What a show it's been tonight, and uh, we appreciate everybody commenting. Derek Carr, I thought, gave it his all. Kyle, I don't think yeah. he had. I don't think he had his best game, but I think he had a lot working against him. In this game, obviously, after losing Henry Ruggs, the offensive line was banged up. Still found Zay Jones. Trying, I mean, Zay Jones's career has seen a resurgence. Oh yeah, he, with the Raiders, um, yeah. Scored a touchdown. Hunter Renfro has become a nice. He might be the top slot receiver in football right now. I don't know if you consider Cooper Cup a slot receiver or not, but. Hunter Renfro to me is that guy that like, you know, he'll be a league leader again and he'll be amongst the league leading uh, reception guys next season for sure. He runs beautiful routes. Mm -hmm. He does. He truly does. And to hear his story as well from where he came on, uh, came from is is just amazing how he came on the scene. I think he was uh, unranked. I think he was a walk. Was he a walk on at Clemson? A walk on at Clemson. And then was he – was he drafted by the Raiders or he was undrafted too as well, right? Uh, I don't either. know if he was undrafted or not. I, think he might, but... I feel like either undrafted or fifth round pick or something like that. But later pick or undrafted as a player to have the type of success that he's had with this Raiders team is tremendous. I agree 100%. I felt so bad for Derek Carr because he did give it his all. But what really I think hurt them a lot was was that – play where Trey Hendrickson forced the fumble on him and that really put them in bad position to try and get back into the football game but he may do what he had all season long and I think that if they improve upon some of that receiving core that offensive line a little bit they'll be right back in this position next year to compete yeah I hope Basaccio gets another shot I like him I'm a little biased because he's from the area but uh I'm kind of happy they fired Mike Mayock I don't think he was the best GM. The draft picks these past three years, just a lot of them made no sense. Cleveland Farrell, fourth overall. Yeah, that was a that was a bad pick. Uh, did not especially like when that. you look back at that draft. That was that was not a good pick. Yeah, just I didn't like that at all. I don't know who their next GM is going to be. They're kind of late to the party though, as far as the GM search goes. So I am kind of happy about that. Uh But, yeah, the Bengals move on to the divisional round. They are going to play the Tennessee Titans, and we'll preview that game in just a moment because now we're going to recap the final game. Kansas City Chiefs roll over the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday Night Football on NBC by a final score of 41-21. to And Big Ben played the final game of his NFL career, Kyle. Yeah, that was it. Was we were talking with Dom last week, and I was saying again, not that I didn't want to see Big Ben play another game. It's just that I think we ultimately all knew the outcome of what would happen against this Kansas City team, and I really would have loved yeah. to have just seen him go out on top, game-winning field goal, uh, field goal by Chris Boswell in that last game of the season against the Ravens. You know, last win as a Steeler, but again, didn't have a great game by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, a lot of these stats came in later when Kansas City was up. 
they were they were up big. They were up what thirty five to seven at one point in time. It was bad. It was just really bad. And then forty two to fourteen at another time. But I, I would have preferred to have seen him not go out this way. Had a decent game. You know, was emotional in the press conference afterwards. Um, but yeah, calls it a career. Calls it a career. And now after how many years in the NFL now, Thomas? Eighteen. 18 years, calls it a career, and now the Pittsburgh Steelers will be moving on to find their next quarterback of their franchise. But, again, successful year. I don't think a lot of people, especially in the AFC North, with how stacked we all viewed that division come the beginning of the season, would thought that Pittsburgh would have been a team that would have represented that division in the playoffs. And to go to where they went to, to reach where they went to, another season under Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger, putting themselves in position over 500, that's just impressive and speaks to how well-rounded of a team that they are. Big Ben won NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2004. And again, that was a draft class that was loaded with Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers. Big Ben took over for Tommy Maddox. He was selected 11th overall. He was the third quarterback taken in that draft, yet probably had the most successful career out of those three quarterbacks, and he lasted the longest. Yeah. Uh, Two-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl Forty and Super Bowl Forty-three also appeared, I believe, in Super Bowl Forty-five against the Packers. He also was a six-time Pro Bowler, led the NFL in passing yards twice, most recently twenty eighteen, not too long ago. Uh, you know, great career at Miami, Ohio. Again, this is a guy who touchdown interception ratio 418 to 211 over 64,000 career passing yards. He was a winner, he was a baller and it was weird cuz people were analyzing, wow, I'm shocked that Big Ben was the last of the 04 draft class quarterbacks to retire because of the injuries he dealt with. Big Ben was also the toughest out of the three that were drafted yeah. and also had the most success and the best coaching around him, you know. I think they were lucky after Bill Cowher left, they inherited Mike Tomlin. And, you know, it was a much better replacement as a head coach than when the Giants had to replace Coughlin, when the Chargers moved on from North Turner, right? And these are just a lot of hypotheticals that we're talking about right now. But Mike Tomlin did do a great job Mm -hmm. keeping Big Ben in his place. Um, Mike Tomlin's been that head coach since 07. He's been there a long time. We were talking about it last week too, Tom, and we thought, you know, you guys were saying he was older. He's only 49 years of age, so he's going to be a Pittsburgh Steelers head coach for another 20 many, years. Yeah, maybe for as long maybe. as he really wants to, as, as long as he wants to be. <laughs> Najee Harris only had 29 rushing yards in this game. Disappointment. Big Ben did not get much help. The drops returned for Deontay Johnson. I don't know what to make of this, but yeah. Dom was blowing my phone up the whole game. And he was not happy about Deontay Johnson's drops. It was good to see Juju back playing. I was happy for the Steelers. And it was crazy. The Steelers actually led this game. DJ Watt had that fumble recovery, returned for a touchdown. It gave him some glimmer of hope right? for a little bit. <laughs> a little, just a little bit. That was that was the first score of the game, right? Yeah. That 7 nothing lead. But then uh, the, the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes started pouring it on, and that was it. 400 yards, five touchdowns, one pick. Jarek McKinnon had 140. Uh, am I doing that all right? No, yeah, 142. 100, 140 total yards from scrimmage. 142 yeah. total yards from scrimmage. 
and the touchdown receiving. 81 receiving yards for Jarek McKinnon. Can't happen. Can't happen. No. <laughs> Travis Kelsey, five catches, 108 yards and a touchdown. Tyreek Hill, five catches and a touchdown. And Kelsey threw a touchdown, too. That's right. Um, and then Allegretti, backup lineman, scored a touch. And Brian Pringle had two touchdowns last time against the Steelers. He also had two touchdowns against the Steelers on Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, Pringle. It was it was just bad. It was not a it was not a good football game, let alone to be the featured Sunday night primetime game. Awful. Yeah. Awful stuff. But the Kansas City Chiefs will advance as the two seed and they will host the Buffalo Bills next week at Arrowhead Stadium. We'll have Greg Thompson, as you can see on our ticker below, joining the show at nine PM to help us preview that game and make his picks. He is host of the Cover One podcast. Big Buffalo Bills fan. We've enjoyed talking to him in the past and really looking forward to that. Quick reminder, congratulations to Noah Dibler on winning our free giveaway. Um, pick up your free long sleeve review preview shirt. We'll deliver it from New York to wherever you are located um, and send that over to you. But um, at this time, we're going to talk some quick picks, Kyle. You and I had a very good week. We did. We were 6-0. Congratulations on that. Congratulations to you too. Paul picked New England, and I forget what other game he missed on. I think he picked Dallas. He picked Dallas and New England, and James, unfortunately, picked Pittsburgh and Arizona. Yeah, James announced on the show last week he was going to pick Pittsburgh. and Shouldn't have done that, man. (laughs) Yeah, he shouldn't have done that, but – Let's pull up the uh, quick picks graphic. I'll uh, try to get it up here to show everybody the type of year that it's been for us here on Review and Preview doing NFL quick picks. It's always a fun thing to discuss. Um, All right, here we go. Here's the graphic. So We will scroll over to last week's games, week 19, wild card round. As you can see, uh, six for six for each of us, four for two. And the regular season winner, I finished in first with 206. Paul finished in second with 205. Kyle in third at 203. James was fourth with 197. And Hank was our quick picks loser. For 2021. <laughs> Congratulations, Hank. It is time for the punishment. I won the shirt. Yes, you did know yes, it. You did you know did it. win the shirt. And here it is. We are going to deliver this for you. It has never been worn. It is brand new. And it has our logo on the back as well. So it's Definitely a good, nice little product to have. Um, Feel free to send me your uh, mailing address, and we'll get that shipped out to you. Congratulations, Noah, on winning the Review and Preview Sports free giveaway. Now I'm fired up. Noah, you're always dominating the comments section every week. So, um, yeah, and you you shared the show, subscribed to us. That was part of the game, and you took home the prize. So congratulations, my man. Good few weeks for for uh, Noah. 
Georgia winning the national title, winning a free show. Oh, yeah. I wish I, wish I could be Noah right now. <laughs> Maybe not the Atlanta Falcons. But, um, all right. Give us something as New York fan base. Give us something, right? Hank, time to reveal your punishment, buddy. Hope you're watching. So every year, the loser of review and preview quick picks is forced to do a punishment. This year, Hank's punishment will have two parts. The first part, Hank must do a slideshow of the Boston Red Sox on how they won games four through seven of the 2004 ALCS. We know Hank is a big Giants, Yankees, and Rangers fan, so why not throw Boston and Philly at him, his two most hated sports towns? Part one. PowerPoint slide presentation explaining each of those slides, how the Red Sox won each of those last four games in the 2004 ALCS gross. Yes, Hank, you have to explain how they won each of those last four games. Get animated with it. Throw some graphics in there, bullet points. That's just part one. (laughs) Part two, and this is why you don't lose quick picks, folks. It gets really, really bad if you lose the regular season. Part two, Hank. You must clip off the video of the miracle at the Meadowlands. The Sean Jackson's punt return for touchdown to beat the Giants back in 2010 that won the Philadelphia Eagles the game. You must break down the play and describe what went wrong for the Giants on that play. It must be a five-minute recording of you explaining how Deshaun Jackson was able to score that touchdown from the moment that Matt Dodge kicks away the ball to the point that Deshaun Jackson enters the end zone and scores the game-winning touchdown for the Philadelphia Eagles. And the reason why we're making you clip off that video and highlight it is because you were at this game. You attended this game. We want you to relive that moment, Hank. We want you to relive that moment for five minutes Congratulations on being the quick picks loser. We hope you enjoy your two-part punishment. Good luck next year. Just kidding. We we love you, Hank. <laughs> this is Sean Jackson. But yes, Hank, that is your two-part punishment. Uh, Hank still wins. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that was bad. That was really bad. Hank's probably about a flip the shit on us right now. Probably going to probably going to leave the brand after hearing that. But <sighs> seven new teams in the NFL playoffs this year. Five of them have already been eliminated as we head to the divisional round. A lot of familiarity here. Kyle, the first matchup we're going to preview is the number 4 seeded Cincinnati Bengals taking on the number 1 seed Tennessee Titans Saturday 4:30 p.m. on CBS. Titans are three-and-a-half-point favorites. The return of King Henry, Derrick Henry, that is, to the Titans lineup. And their defense, which wasn't great last year, has improved drastically this year. And they're led by one of the best head coaches in football in Mike Rabel. It's going to be a hell of a game. It really is. I, I actually, you know, when we when we review these games, this game under the radar is one of my favorite games to look forward to. Because this could really... And I know I'll probably say this with every game. This game could really go either way. It really could. And it's because 
I'm I'm on the bandwagon and I'm on the hype. Tom, if you looked at quick picks, I already have Tennessee filled out in the bracket. But uh, part of me just wants to pull the trigger and just say Cincinnati. I really do. I really do because I just I know they're getting Henry back. And what what type of Henry are we gonna get back twelve weeks later, whatever it's been since he's last played an NFL game? But I just don't know if I trust Ryan Tannehill. And, and that may just be me. Again, I'm comparing him to a guy who has had one game of playoff experience in Joe Burrow, but I just have more trust and faith in Joe Burrow. And while Joe Mixon may not be a Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon's a top five running back in football in terms of production-wise. And that receiving core that Cincinnati has, that trio of guys, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, that's probably one of the most underrated receiving uh, receiving by position players uh, that we've seen on one team in a while. You know, we talked about Dallas in the beginning of the season with Gallup, Cooper, and and CD Lamb. And we talked about now with the Rams having Cooper Cup and having Odell Beckham Jr. and Van Jefferson. Cincinnati, I think you got to start talking about them in the same upper echelon in class when you start talking about Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and a Tyler Boyd. I think Tennessee's going to have some problems. If, if you force Ryan Tannehill to play quarterback, I don't know if I trust that. I don't know if I trust that. You know, I said the same thing all year round with Carson Wentz. It finally came to fruition. I think if you do the same thing with Ryan Tannehill, I don't know if he's going to be able to win you the game. That's just my personal take. I don't know. I think the Titans are the better football team, young head coach, young quarterback, young team. I don't see the Bengals pulling this off. I mean, I think Tennessee maybe wins by like 10 points, 7, 10 points. Maybe the Bengals surprise me and make it closer than that, but uh, I have the Titans winning this football game at home. Running game, I mean, they haven't lost much. Deontay Foreman's been doing a good job for them in the backfield. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are healthy again. Um, You have a good tight end in uh, Anthony Ferkser. I like their O-line, and I love their defense. I love their defense. I like what they've done. You know, I'm going Tennessee here in this one. I'm going Tennessee as well. You'll see in the quick picks. I probably won't change it, but Cincinnati to me, again, we were talking about it towards the end of the season. They might mess around and win a playoff game, and they did that. And now having that playoff feel, playoff understanding, and again, they're not at home for this one, but they just something about them is just special, and I, and I think that they could really give Tennessee problems. Yeah. I really do feel that way. So we're both taking Tennessee. Kyle is a little more – um, on the fence, but he's going Tennessee as yes. well. Next up, the number six seed, San Francisco 49ers, taking on the number one seed, Green Bay Packers, Saturday evening, 8.15 p.m. on Fox. Packers favored by six at the moment. Aaron Rodgers, 0-3 in his career against the 49ers in the playoffs. 49ers are banged up, though. Nick Bosa with that concussion. Jimmy G with the shoulder sprain. Um, Fred Warner, too. Fred Warner, who came out and said that he's going to be okay. Apologized for the scare. Um, yeah, this is uh, Green Bay for me here. I, don't, I, I think Rodgers breaks the spell. I think part of it, too, is... Financing that unit all year. It's still Aaron Rodgers. He's at home in Lambeau. And the defense, the defense is much is better. The top five defense this year in the league. They've been outstanding. 
to have so many guys from Jair Alexander to Kenny Clark, Preston, Zadarius Smith, uh, Devondre Campbell, who's one of the leading tacklers in the, in the league. I really like this team. I'm taking Green Bay in this one. I can't see Green Bay losing to an injury-plagued San Francisco team that has, you know, an average to above-average NFL quarterback and a rookie running back in Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I know that people are bringing up the NFC Championship game from two years ago, and they're saying, well, the 49ers have done it before with essentially the same exact roster, so why can't they do it again with what people argue is probably a more developed roster now having – uh, now having Debo Samuel playing the way that he's playing, now having Brandon Ayuk playing the way that he's playing, and George Kittle and, and Elijah Mitchell, even though Raheem Mostert was the guy in that game, if you remember, I think he ran for over 200 yards or something like that in that in that championship game. He was incredible. But I don't see Aaron Rodgers, I don't see really any really team getting in the way of Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers will tear, I'm not going to say tear this defense apart, but the Green Bay Packers, I think, are going to have their way with the 49ers. I just feel that they are. I think they're the way better team. Like the 49ers have been a special team, and they've been a team that's upset Dallas already. And I think that they could, again, I'm not going to say that it wouldn't be surprising because they've done it before. But I don't think it's happening this time. I think that Aaron Rodgers is on a mission. And I, I think that he's going to go far with this mission. And when I look at this Green Bay defense, and I'm happy you brought it up, not only is the defense getting healthy like Jair Alexander, but just in general, they're getting healthy at the right time. Zadarius is probably coming back. Bakhtiari, which people forget about, is coming back for that offensive line, is huge. I think their center in Myers is coming back as well, Josh which Myers is huge. Is huge. Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon, we talked about duo tandem running backs. They look, especially the last eight, ten weeks of the season, they've looked fantastic together. Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams. You look at guys like Alan Lazard, uh, Valdez Scantling, I don't think a lot is going to be getting in their way. And we saw, even in this 49ers-Dallas game when we were talking about them, when you force Jimmy Garoppolo to play quarterback, he's going to make a mistake. And I think that Green Bay having, I think, a better defense than Dallas does, I think that they're going to make it very tough for this offense. So I'm going to go with Green Bay as well. All right, so we're two for two there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting, and the conditions in Lambeau are going to be frigid. I mean, obviously, the edge goes to Green Bay mm-hmm. right there. Um, next up, the number four seeded L.A. Rams taking on the number two Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Raymond James Stadium again place where Tom Brady's had a lot of success. That'll be Sunday at 3 p.m. on NBC. Uh, It's weird that they're giving NBC the afternoon game, but um, Bucks are favored by three at this time. We saw Matthew Stafford get his first career playoff win last night. Tom Brady has more than one career playoff win, to say the least. Um, In fact, he has seven rings. So I like the Rams a lot. I really do. I think they have a good defense. They have the triple crown wide receiver in Cooper Cup. Have a solid offensive line. I know Whitworth was battling injuries, but I'm not betting against Tom Brady. I don't care how many players they're down by. That defense is just as good, if not better, than what the Rams have put out there. 
look what they did against the Eagles on Sunday. I get it. The Cardinals are a better team than the Eagles. But Tampa Bay, you can't bet against Tom Brady. You really can't. He still has Gronk. He still has Evans. You know? He may be getting Fournette back. And even without Fournette, Vaughn has stepped in nicely. And Giovanni Bernard has stepped in nicely in that in that position to be so the pass-catching running back and rusher as well. Brady will have a field day. Interesting. I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree with that. Well, what I will say is this, because I agree with you, Tom, that I'm not betting against Tom Brady. I'm not. It's, it's too difficult to do, very difficult to do, and I'm not going to fall trapped in that. You shouldn't do it, yeah. <laughs> but I think that the – I think this is going to be an unbelievable game. I really, I just have an inclination. I just feel that way that this is going to be a great game because this is going to be a game. You talked about the Cardinals defense and what they were able to accomplish. The Rams, the Tampa Buccaneers have one of the best run defenses in all of football. So everything that you saw out of Sony, Michelle, everything that you saw out of Cam Akers last night, they're not going to be able to do that against this Tampa Buccaneers defense. Why I think it's going to be so intriguing is because you're going to see Matthew Stafford play quarterback and not take anything away from the win because the postseason win is a postseason win. He did a great job. But 13 completions on only 17 passes, 202 yards and one touchdown, he's going to up those numbers. I'll promise you that. You're going to have to get 250 yards, 300 yards against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team with probably around two three passing touchdowns if you want to win this game. That's how he's going to have to play. And he has the weapons to do it like an OBJ, a Van Jefferson, a Cooper Cup, a Tyler Higby. You're going to have to see it's going to be heavily dependent on top of the fact you brought it up earlier with the, uh, with the, uh, with the Buccaneers offensive line. That's their bread and butter. That's the key to all, all their success. They've had one of the healthiest offensive lines in all of football back-to-back years in Tom Brady's two years there. Having Ryan Jensen go down, he did come back, one of the best centers in football. Be but Tristan Wirfs on that right side, that's going to be yeah. – Especially when you got Aaron Donald on the opposite side, rushing the interior, and then you got all the other, the uh, Leonard Floyd and, and other guys rushing the passer. You've seen the Buccaneers have, have have faltered at some times. You look at the Saints games alone, even in the Eagles game, while it wasn't close, they were able to get to the quarterback four or five times. Yeah. I think it's going to be a tight game, but I'm still going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, and here's why John brought this comment up. I think about Brady having a field day when they met back in Week Four. No, week three, Brady threw for 430 yards. He only had one touchdown pass, but the Bucs also couldn't run the ball that game because the Rams were so good at stuffing the run. Matthew mm-hmm. Stafford himself had four touchdown passes, and the Bucs were down. So Brady had to throw the ball a lot in the second half in that game. 17 yeah. of the Bucs' 24 points came in the second half. So they were playing from behind a lot of that game, and they matched up a lot better where their run game was non-existent, right? This time around, he doesn't have Chris Godwin, you know? I mean, he, he's down players, so it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't think Stafford's throwing four touchdowns again on this Bucks no. defense. I don't think Brady's throwing for 400 yards again on this Rams defense. I don't know if this game hits the over. I'm not sure what the line is, but – it's it's, it's also, be very interesting. It's just it's also two completely separate teams. You talk about Godwin not being there at this point in time. The the Buccaneers weren't using Leonard Fournette the way we saw them using in an epic fashion. Yeah, it seemed like the guy was averaging a touchdown every single week. You also look at this Rams team, and 
they didn't have Cam Akers, and they no longer have Deshaun Jackson, who on three receptions at 120 yards and a touchdown, they no longer have Robert Woods. Now they have Odell Beckham Jr., and now they have Von Miller. So it's going to be really interesting. I think this is going to be I think this is going to be a really good game. Still taking Tampa, but I think it's really going to be a tremendous game. So you're picking Tampa. I'm picking Tampa as well. He has Gronk too. Yeah, and Gronk uh, scored a touchdown this week against Philly. He's pretty much a shoe in to score a touchdown more often than not. I feel like so. I think he actually didn't he actually get hurt in that Rams game. That's where he suffered the rib injury, right? Where Brady threw across the middle, he got hurt in that game. You might be right. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yep. Then he missed the next four games. Yep. So that, that defense brutal. is tough. That defense is tough. It's going to be really difficult for Tampa, especially now that they're missing. We don't even know if Leonard Fournette is going to play in this game. It's going to be tough. It is going to be tough. I'm not so sure what's going to happen. But the next game, number three, Buffalo Bills at the number two, Kansas City Chiefs, happening Sunday at 6.30 p.m. on CBS. Chiefs were favored by two and a half yesterday. That line has now shrunk down to two. Kyle, uh, obviously these teams met in last year's AFC championship game. The Chiefs won that game 38-24. Patrick Mahomes threw for three touchdowns and over 300 yards. Remember the Bills led 9-0 until the Chiefs ripped up 21 yeah. points in the second quarter. Remember, Bills were up 9-0. Everybody was like, yeah, but then Patrick Mahomes. That was short-lived. Last, Patrick that Mahomes was like, things. that lasted about 10 minutes into the first quarter, right? That was about it. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much uh, all the way. Um, trying to pin his comment there. There we go. He's taking the Chiefs. I'm not so certain yet who I'm picking in this game, but back to that AFC championship game last year, uh, Travis Kelsey, 13 catches, 118 yards and two touchdowns. Bills couldn't stop him. Josh Allen, two touchdowns, one pick. Did get sacked four times, um, but – the teams met again in the regular season at Arrowhead, Kyle, where the Bills beat them this time, got their revenge. They scored 38 points this time and only gave up 20. Josh Allen threw for over 300 yards, threw three touchdown passes, and got sacked zero times back in their meeting earlier this year. Had 59 rushing yards and one touchdown. Dawson Knox, three catches, 117 yards and a touchdown. Emmanuel Sanders also had two touchdowns, and the Bills had two sacks and eight QB hits on Patrick Mahomes, who had two picks in that game. So it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out come Sunday. No doubt. No doubt. It's going to be really another fantastic game. We had a weekend. This is the the football gods, Tom, giving us a gift. We had a weekend of bad football. Now we're slated for a weekend of good football, hopefully. Absolutely. It's going to be very interesting to see. And John says this is a different KC team now than earlier no doubt. in the season. No doubt. Their defense is, their defense is definitely a lot better. Um, you know, Hardman, Hill, Kelsey on offense as well. But oh, yeah. Chief, Chiefs had four turnovers in that first matchup. And their O-line is 100% more solidified. you got to remember two, two rookies on that O-line in uh, – uh, what's his name? Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey, who's now towards the end of the season has turned out to be, according to BFF, the best rookie in the entire class. And Creed Humphrey at the center position. If only the Giants took Creed Humphrey in the second round, Trey if Smith only. in the sixth. If only. Oh, DG, we love you. But uh, I know we're a couple minutes early, but 
It looks like Greg is ready backstage. We're going to bring him up. Welcome to the show, Greg Thompson. Welcome back, actually, from the Cover One podcast. Greg, how are you tonight, my friend? Thank you so much for hopping on. Doing well. Yeah, it's a fun time to uh, to be here. It uh, was a long, long time where this time of year I was just watching other team other teams play, and now it's kind of fun to uh, be in the mix. I know we the first time we interviewed you was last year before the Bills took on the Colts in that playoff game, and the Bills made a miraculous run to the AFC title game. And this time around, you know, divisional rounds, beat the Patriots on Saturday. I guess what were your takeaways from that game? Were you surprised by the result and how convincingly they won that football game? I mean, anyone who says they weren't is lying. I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I picked the Bills to win. Um, I, I thought that they were going to win the game. I thought that they um, were the better team. But, you know, any Bills fan who didn't have 20 years of sports PTSD telling them that, I don't know, man, <laughs> Belichick's third chance at this team, they're going to, he's going to have some wacky, you know, game plan that we're not ready for, you know, that if, you know, we showed up for that game and he came out in wildcat offense and just ran cover zero blitz all day, I I wouldn't have been shocked. Um, So, you know, there was a piece of me that was telling me, I don't know, man, I I know we're the better team. I know we're more talented. I know we have the better quarterback, but I just, I've seen this guy pull rabbits out of hats and, you know, going the other direction to not only show that they were the better team, but to put up an unprecedented historic performance, no punts, no field goals, no turnovers, no turnover on downs, made, converted every third down, scored a touchdown every time they had the ball. I, it was unbelievable. It was just a a celebration and, you know, taking out 20 years of frustration on the neighborhood bully. It was It was nice. Greg, when I look at this game and what actually came to fruition, when we were talking about it last week, when we were talking, when we were making our picks, the Bills or Patriots, one of my biggest takeaways was that what I love about this Buffalo team more now than ever, especially the last couple of years, is that towards the end of the regular season, they finally established that run game that it seemed like they were missing forever. And without Josh Allen's 66 yards rushing, they still combined for 110 yards rushing the football and two touchdowns by Devin Singletary. And I think that's really, because you know what you're getting out of Josh Allen passing the football. You know the weapons on the field. But against a Bill Belichick defense running the football the way they did, I think that's ultimately, combined with everything else, what makes them so dangerous and scary. Yeah, it's been a a really cool mix. Um, And there's some different pieces. They have finally settled on a five-man offensive line that's working, um, inserting Ryan Bates uh, towards the end here at left guard has really solidified things. Spencer Brown back at right tackle. They had right tackle Darrell Williams there that kicked him inside to guard. Uh, And then Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morris have been kind of the two mainstays at left tackle and center. Um, But finding the other three combinations – They've now solidified that over the last five games. It's been really good. They've introduced um, a another mid-round draft pick. Spencer Brown's been starting, but now Tommy Doyle has actually been playing as kind of the pseudo-blocking tight end, sixth lineman. Some of these games, 25, 28, 30 reps of six linemen. Reggie Gilliam playing a ton more at fullback. You don't think of fullback and sixth offensive linemen 
you know, formations with Josh Allen is just not what people equate it to. Um, so you mix that in now, all of a sudden Devin Singletary is going for like 81 and a half yards a game over this stretch. And when you have Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, I, I don't need Jonathan Taylor. Not that I wouldn't take him, um, but you don't need a dominant run game. I just need the other team to care about it. I just need them right. to be conscious of it. I need it to be a distraction for them because the moment they turn their eyes to that, he's going to get you. You look at the teams left in the playoffs. Look at where these running backs were taken in the draft mid rounds, right? Some of them, James Conner was signed off the street for the Cardinals. I know they're out now, but I mean, you guys get the point, right? Devin Singletary's not a blow over running back. Neither is Zach Moss, but they yeah, get the yeah. job done. Sony Michelle, Cam Akers, mm-hmm. you know, Jarek McKinnon, and granted, I, I think that if you ask most Chiefs fans, they like McKinnon and Daryl Williams more than Edwards Hilaire, the guy they spent <laughs> the first round pick on. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's, they, the Bills took two swings at it in the third round. Zach Moss has been okay, uh, but Singletary looks nice, and I think that it's, you know, um, the, people have made a big enough deal about the the other six picks that went before Josh Allen uh, in the first round, but certainly in hindsight, you know. Uh, Barkley is an elite talent, but I'm, I'm guessing they'd rather have Allen. You brought up a very interesting point about the offensive line, and I think this ties into our next question. It was built a lot with Brandon Bean coming over from the Carolina Panthers in 2017, who I believe it's pronounced Joe Shane, correct? Yep. Shane. Brought Joe Shane over with him to Buffalo to be his assistant. How good of a job have those two done together in building not just that offensive line, but from the team ground up? I mean, Buffalo, I mean, this was as low as you could get, not making the playoffs in over a decade. 17 years is the longest drought in professional sports. Um, So you go through, and people were asking me before, and I I wrote a thing earlier on Twitter Mm -hmm. saying, of any of the things that you want to take away from – the Buffalo Bills rebuild the most sustainable, you know, it's easy to be, Oh, we'll just go find a Josh Allen and draft him. Well, you know, that's easier to say than it is to do. It's like, Hey, just go draft Patrick Mahomes. It's easy. Um, (laughs) The most sustainable piece is make sure you find a head coach and a GM that are in absolute lockstep, not can work together, not, won't be an issue, not, hey, we'll work it out on who has control of the 53-man roster. It needs to never even be a discussion because they're so aligned strategically and philosophically that it doesn't matter. They're on the exact same page, same contract, all of those things together. And, you know, there are parts of the year where Sean McDermott is the absolute leader of this team during the season. In the offseason, it's clear that Brandon Bean is the absolute leader of that team and that they work in concert knowing exactly what each other needs. And you then take guys who are really talented, like Brandon Bean and the staff he built with Joe Shane and Dan Morgan was actually a piece of that. Dan Morgan just took the assistant GM job in Carolina after he had been the director of player personnel. Um, they also were pretty humble. There, there's guys within there that, um, you, you know, Brian Gain, who used to be the GM of the Texans, is in the staff. Uh, Dennis Hickey, who used to be the GM of the Dolphins, is in the staff. They have no problem not always needing to be the smartest guy in the room that you can let other people flourish and be good at what they're uh, good at. And the bills are 
kind of careful with it, but they put out a lot of content after the draft and after free agency. And you can see times where uh, Brandon Bean's in one room negotiating with one free agent and Joe Shane is in the other room fully negotiating with that other free agent at the same time. Matter of fact, they showed a video where Brandon Bean was in one room. This is three years ago signing John Brown while Joe Shane was in the other room signing Cole Beasley and they come out and be like, did you get him? Like, yeah, okay, I got him too. And like, so just showing the autonomy that it wasn't this one guy pulling all the strings that they brought together people that are talented. And, and Joe Shane was certainly a big piece of that. Now, Greg, you just mentioned obviously the, the coaching staff, the front office all being on the same page, but talk about Brian Dabble and his success that he's had with this offense. You know, you talk about Josh Allen, the success story just in and himself, you know, forget about the entirety of the offense, but Josh Allen going from a guy who was one of the later quarterbacks drafted out of that class, uh, a guy who went from a 52% completion percentage to all the way to 67, 68 last year, earning himself a $250 million contract MVP discussion. And now we're talking about this team, maybe being the chiefs, which everybody thought was going to be a dynasty around for a decade and nobody would even be able to compete with them. And now we're talking about this team potentially going to the AFC championship game and maybe even going to the Super Bowl if they do surpass the Chiefs. It's it's hard to unravel who gets what slice of pie for the credit for Josh Allen's development. Um, I don't know how big of a piece to give Brian Dable, but he's one of the biggest factors. So people give Ken Dorsey some credit. People give his offseason uh, coach, Jordan Palmer, some credit. And then Allen himself and his work ethic is a big piece of it. Uh, but Brian Dable's ability to adapt the offense to what fit Josh Allen, to study the analytics to understand where we hit the most successful. The um, In this last game against the Patriots, they scored five touchdowns. All five were on play action. All five touchdowns were on play action. Um, he knows what puts Josh Allen in the most successful position uh, to, to be you know a great quarterback. And I think having a play caller and an offensive play designer who is – intelligent and creative and is going to bring things to the table, but also isn't so stubborn and pigheaded that no, these guys got to run my system that he's going to adapt things. Um, he incorporated play designs from SMU that uh, Cole Beasley brought from June Jones that he thought would fit well, that Cole Beasley used to run in college. Um, he incorporated some option routes from Stefan Diggs because Diggs liked to, freelance a little bit earlier in the game to set up cornerbacks because he knew he could get them later when they didn't realize what he was going to be doing. Um, a lot of teams don't operate that way. Uh, Kyle Shanahan doesn't operate that way. He knows he wants guys to take uh, 12 steps and then put their foot in the ground and go. And if you take your 13th step, he's going to pull you and put in the other running back. Um, and just it's that kind of flexibility that I think should be intriguing for teams. And the bills were really fortunate last year um, that Dable didn't get, you know, plucked. And there's a couple jobs that I can't really understand why they went the other direction, but the bills got another season out of it. Um, and I think we're pretty resigned to the fact that uh, this is probably the last run with him, but you know, God bless him. He's uh, he's done a great job. Hopefully the season ends uh, in, in a very nice fashion. Uh, but I I think whatever team hires Joe Shane and Brian Dable, I, I would love to see it as a combination, is going to be doing right by their fan base. 
And quickly here, obviously, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure where your head is with that at the moment, but where do you think they could potentially end up? Obviously Shane had his second interview today with the New York giants in person. And it's rumored that Brian Dabble would be high on his priority list of head coaches. If he were to take the GM job with the giants. Um, I, I think that has to be prominently on the list. A lot of people, there were rumors and I, I don't know a ton of the origin of it, that Chicago had a lot of, um, interest in that pairing. Um, Miami has interest in Dayball. I don't know what his relationship with, is with Chris Greer. And then a part of me always wondered, you know, Dayball's been kind of spoiled that he's been able to work with Josh Allen this whole time. I always wondered if he would then want to hitch his wagon to maybe a Trevor Lawrence, if he was going to take a stab at that to, to try to do it and not have to start from scratch. So, um, those are some of the ones that came to mind for me. And I, you know, I, Denver's a good team. Minnesota's a solid team. I just don't know that I see the interest uh, there from the stability with the ownership uh, or a young franchise quarterback or something along those lines that would draw him there. So one, you know, I, I don't know that he's absolutely in the position that he just gets to pick and choose his, uh, his destination. So if he gets offered a, uh, head coaching job at he's going to be very interested he's worked very very hard to, to get an NFL head coaching job uh, and same thing with Joe Shane's worked very hard to get a GM job so if they're offered one they're going to be interested but um, I think Giants Chicago and Jacksonville are the top of my list interesting, interesting. I like I know Jacksonville for, I know for us as, as Giants fans Greg that is our that is our dream in fact Tom and I have already paced out Brian Dabble as the next head coach before we even hired a GM yet. But uh, we're hoping getting the pairing. Yeah. Getting the pairing and the strategic alignment yeah. is huge where, yeah. you know, coming in, they, ha- and I think giants are really interesting for bills fans because there's no animosity. We don't have to play them once every four years. We can kind of shadow root for the giants. Like, no, it's kind of cool. <laughs> we can root for them. That's fun. Uh, so I, I think there's a an interest level in it going that direction because we certainly want it to be in the NFC because they're, they're good. Yeah, you know this isn't that there are some. I I have it. I try to explain to people all the time. I think somehow the new armchair quarterback has turned into the armchair play caller and everybody knows what play they would have called after they see what happened. And everybody, it's hard to put yourself in the position of what I would have done if I was Josh Allen. Cause I literally can't imagine what it's to be, what it's like to be Josh Allen, but I can imagine what it's be like to, to be Brian Dable. Uh, so people convince themselves, well, I know what play I would have ran on Madden. I go undefeated. Um, and it, <laughs> you know, they have this expectation that if you don't score a touchdown every single drive, that you're a trash general manager. So um, Brian Dable, there are some people who give him an unreasonably hard time within the fan base, but you know, he put up a thousand points in two seasons. It's really hard to be upset with back-to-back 500 point seasons and shattering franchise records. So uh, he's, he's, he's good. Yeah, and now jumping into the X's and O's for the Chiefs game this Sunday, obviously before we could even talk about the offseason, have to talk about the current season that we're still in. The Bills are going to Arrowhead where they won back in the regular season. And kind of jumping in to the keys of this game, Greg, for me, the X factor is actually going to be Dawson Knox because 
He looked really good against the Patriots, and he had over 100 receiving yards and a touchdown against the Chiefs back in their previous matchup this season. I'm also a big tight end guy. I'm kind of biased. I think you have Stephon Diggs, you have Sanders, Gabe Davis, and Cole Beasley, four great wide receivers, in my opinion, that all bring a different element uh, to the table, to the cake that the Bills are trying to build. But um, I really like Dawson Knox. I think he's the X factor offensively at least for them uh is there anybody in mind that you think could be a huge uh difference maker so i think if you're going to take anything away from this patriots game and even if you look back in that first chiefs matchup the the really exciting thing is right now having everyone healthy so this is one of the first games all season they've had all five receivers so you mentioned you know Diggs. Gabriel Davis, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, and Isaiah McKenzie, having all of them healthy, and you can just pick and choose. And I was really happy with the way that they balanced McKenzie and uh, Beasley in the slot and how they balanced Davis and Sanders outside. And obviously, uh, Stephon Diggs is going to play every snap. So having that setup where they have the option to pivot when you see man or when you see zone or when you want to have a little bit of, you know, jet motion eye candy to be able to distract the other team, you're able to be in a spot where you can take advantage of how you want to attack that team. Then you mix in the fact that Dawson Knox has not only shown great skill as a receiver, he's really come on as a blocker and that you don't know what they're going to use him for. And he's used that physicality. He's an elite athlete and he just kind of had to learn how to play tight end as he's been developing here. But, you know, you go back and the bills just, they passed the ball to nine different guys uh, in, in this game against uh, new England. Well, back against Kansas city, they completed passes to eight different guys. And I think that's where Josh Allen is his most dangerous. And if you look at those two things and you want to say that the 38 to 20 win against Kansas city and then the 47 to 17 shellacking of the Patriots are maybe the two most impressive wins for the Bills this season. Stefan Diggs only had four targets and five targets in the two games. You didn't have to force feed your number one receiver. You let the gravity of his talent tilt the field where the defense has to pay attention to him. And then you just play pick your poison everywhere else and be like, hey, you can do whatever you want, but on every play, someone out of Stefan Diggs, Dawson Knox, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, somebody's going to be open, and Josh Allen's going to find that guy. Greg, I think when we break down these two defenses, right, it's it's pretty intriguing when you break them down because you look at the Chiefs, and we've heard the stories they've come on, but when you look at the total yards, you wouldn't know that to be the case. The Chiefs having uh, being ranked 27th in terms of total yards allowed this year, uh, being 27th in passing yards and being 21 in the run, while the Bills atop all those things, number one in points, uh, number one in total yards. And then when you go to total points, that's where it gets interesting because the Chiefs are number eight and the Bills are number one, even though for some reason I can't fathom this and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. The Bills having no defensive Pro Bowls representing the AFC makes zero sense to me. So my Multiple all-pro players, but no Pro Bowl players. But, but to, makes total sense. To round out this question, with that being said, we've obviously seen some defensive struggles, especially in the secondary for the Chiefs. So is this going to be the battle test between solely Allen and what he can do passing the football and running the football and Mahomes? Is this going to be a true quarterback battle or is this more so a team effort all around? Um, 
I mean, for me, I think we're talking about the two best teams in the NFL. Um, I, I think that there's a tier, just like last year's AFC and NFC championship games. I think it's going to be some combination of the Bucks and the Packers and the Chiefs and the and the Bills. Um, so it's a shame that this one's a week early uh, and and still has yeah. has to be decided now. But I very much think that the winner of this game is the Super Bowl favorite. It doesn't mean they can't lose to Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, but I think the winner of this game is the Super Bowl favorite, and I think it's going to be decided by that quarterback battle. Um, the Chiefs' defense is better than what their numbers belie they're better down the stretch but I think there's also some questions in there out of those last four games you know they they just gave up 21 points to the the skeleton of Ben Roethlisberger um but down the stretch you're also talking about you know they had to outscore the Chargers 34-28 they lost in a shootout to the Bengals 34-31 they they gave up 20 they only won 28-24 at the end against the Broncos they're giving up points to offenses not as good as the Bills, but they were able to outscore them. So nobody was too concerned right. with it. So, you know, I think if you have combinations like Chris Jones and Frank Clark and Melvin Ingram, that's a, a strong pass rush. Obviously, having the Honey Badger is uh, a threat in the secondary. I, their pass rush has to get home because they just don't have the horses in the secondary to hold up if Josh Allen breaks contain and is rolling out, he's going to find somebody. So Chris Jones has to have a dominant performance, has to disrupt Josh Allen, and you need Frank Clark and Melvin Ingram containing that and not letting Josh Allen out of the pocket because everybody's seen that by now. Like if he breaks contain, either he's running for 25 or 30 yards or he pulls up and sees what was the one last night. Oh, look. There is Emmanuel Sanders on the opposite side of the field. Let me just throw a quick 55-yard rope to the other side of the field. And boom, he almost puts a touchdown through the man's chest. Um, it's, you know, you you have to get to him. They have to get to him. But when you have Chris Jones, Frank Clark, and, and Melvin Ingram, that's a threat. That That is the real threat. So um, I think that the Bills defense can annoy Patrick Mahomes and not let him just rip them apart, but nobody's shutting down Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and and Travis Kelsey. Um, I think it's going to come down to the Bills can annoy Mahomes, keep him under control, and then it's whether does that pass rush get home to give the, the one or two turnovers they need, the one or two disruptions they need where then they win the shootout. Um, Cause if it doesn't, I, I, I think the bills will outscore them. It's interesting. You bring that up because I think defensively with Leslie Frazier leading the charge there, the question is, I think without Tredavious white, and I don't think the bills have really lost much of a step without him. Uh, I feel like sitting back in coverage could be the key to containing Mahomes at least, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? We've seen that the more people rush Mahomes, the more he moves around, and then that's where he becomes dangerous. If you just sit back and you got a speedster like Tyreek Hill, I mean, you could surrender like you know some intermediate routes to Travis Kelsey as long as you don't give up the big, as long as you don't give up the big play. I think you're okay, right? It, that's what they have to do um, right. because just like that, I mean, you know, losing Tredavious White is never good. Um, but the Bills' scheme has hidden it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace aren't 
covering Michael Hardman and Tyreek Hill. They're not locking them down. Um, it's the scheme that's going to keep them in play. And really, it's the versatility of having Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. It's having those two just ridiculously athletic center fielders that can erase so many mistakes. Um, they cover up for the issues and challenges that, that you have in in the secondary. So it's it's going to be frustrating. Bills fans are going to get frustrated because they're going to see a lot of seven and eight and nine yard completions in front of people to rally and tackle. And it's going to be, hey, we bet you can't go on 11 and 12 and 13 play drives. And we bet you can't go the whole time without a penalty or without a sack or without an incompletion. And then all of a sudden we get you in third and long and then we got you. Um, so they're going to bet that, hey, maybe you can do that two times, but we bet you can't do it four times. Um, and that's going to be their bet is that, hey, we can just frustrate you and annoy you and keep everything in front of you, rally and tackle, uh, and hope that you make a mistake. Now, that hope may not be enough. Patrick Mahomes might just let you up and, and find ways to score anyways. Um, but that's going to be their bet. And it, it certainly worked earlier in the season. Uh, they held them to 20 points as one of their lower outputs uh, of the season. Um, I think it's going to be a challenge to to hold them to that amount again. Um, but I, I think that they have the ability they've really now um, – they believe in the kind of waves on the defensive line that we don't have a Khalil Mack. We don't have a, a Joey Bosa, someone like that, but we have 10 defensive NFL caliber defensive linemen and having that where you can just keep rotating guys. It's really paying off now and the pass rush is looking better later in the year and now getting home more, more sacks, more pressures, more impact because they're healthy and have been kind of load managed to get to this point. Uh, and now we have, eight, nine, 10 fresh guys were throwing at people. Um, I think that could be an interesting part this weekend as well. Right. Uh, Kyle, is there anything you wanted to add before we get into the game predictions? No, I was just going to ask if, if there would be one thing, because I know we talked about X factors. If you were to pick Greg, one player from each team to watch out for, maybe, maybe an obvious choice, maybe an under the radar choice, a player from each team that you think will be the, defining factor or an X factor in a sense for each team in terms of their success. So for Kansas city, it's going to be one of the two secondary receivers. It's going to be can Byron Pringle or Miko Hardman get loose because of the, the degree of focus they have to put on Hill and Kelsey. I think they can avoid Hill and Kelsey ripping them apart. They're going to get theirs, but I think that they can keep them to, you know, hey, Kelsey got seven for 76 and Tyreek Hill got eight for 95. And that, you know, okay, we'll live with that. That's, you know, good games, but not ripping off, you know, 12 for 130 and three touchdowns in the, in the stuff that we see. What makes me nervous is that that takes attention and that Miko Hardman or By- Byron Pringle are fast enough athletes that they could get behind people. Um, you know, we saw that interception on Saturday night that Micah Hyde erased, but he had to do that because, you know, Nelson Aguilar got behind our cornerback and, and was there. And I, I thought it was a touchdown. I, I, I thought he had him beat. Um, may, with, when you have 
Mac Jones throwing that pass, Micah Hyde had time to get there. When it's Patrick Mahomes, that ball's probably going to get there before you could get a uh, break on it and get there in time. So uh, those are the two that make me nervous because of the attention that you need on Kelsey and Hill. Um, on the Bills offense, I, I think your Dawson Knox call is, is a really good one. So I, I think that's a solid one. But I'm going to add in, I, I think that Emmanuel Sanders has kind of flown under the radar. Um, he was really hot at the beginning of the year. They had a little bit of injury uh, challenges. And then we saw some of the breakouts for McKenzie and Gabe Davis and other things. And he's kind of just floated by. They even rested him a couple games at the end of the year. Um He's a guy that I think could make a sneaky impact with how much attention the other guys get. Um, I could see Emmanuel Sanders making a big play. Very in- interesting, yeah. Yeah, veteran too. Yeah, yeah. Super yeah. Bowl. yeah. He's been to three actually, three, yeah. three with three yeah. different teams. It's, it's crazy. Oh, he was um, there with Pittsburgh back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh, uh, Denver, and San Francisco. Heck, uh, people don't really remember this, but if Jimmy Garoppolo is one yard more accurate. Yeah, they Emmanuel, San- Emmanuel Sanders is the guy who was there wide open for the game-winning touchdown to catch yeah. that. Um, so it's, you know, you never know. It's a lot of crazy things could happen. All right, so let's let's pick this game. A lot of anticipation for me. This is the toughest game to pick all week because, Greg, as you mentioned, this could potentially be the unofficial Super Bowl, right? The two best teams in football potentially – uh, I really want to pick Buffalo in this game, but there's still some games they've had this year that scare me, like that Jacksonville nine to six loss. Like that, you know, that makes me a little reluctant to pick Buffalo. But we'll start with you here. Who do you think's winning this football game? So I, I think obviously it's in Kansas City. They've been to two straight Super Bowls, three straight AFC Championship games. They have the preeminent quarterback in the NFL. There's a lot of really good reasons to, to pick the Chiefs. Um, I think that the Bills are the only team that can legitimately beat the Chiefs, even if the Chiefs are playing well. Like, there's a lot of teams that can beat the Chiefs if they stumble or have an iffy game. There's not that many teams that, if the Chiefs come out and play a good game, that you can beat them. Most teams can't. If the Chiefs come out and play their A game, they beat almost every team. The one team that I think can actually hang with them and beat them, even if the Chiefs play well, is the Bills. And it's because of the diversity of their their uh, threats on offense and because of the scheme and the talent they have on defense. And that, you know, it's not reasonable to, to say, oh, they're just going to keep playing like they did against the Patriots because that was a historically unprecedented level. But they're obviously on a heater. Like they're obviously playing well. That's five straight and, you know, five and a half if you take that second half against Tampa Bay where they came back on them and took them to, to overtime. Um, I, I think they have the horses to do it. It's absolutely a coin flip. Um, I'm certainly going to pick Buffalo with my heart um, because I think they have – the horses to do it and, and capable of it. Um, but anybody who says they know what's going to happen in this game is kidding themselves. This is going to be a historic heavyweight fight, haymakers back and forth. I think we may see, you know, one of those all time memorable games where it's score to score to score to score. This, you know, this could be one of those crazy, you know, 42, 38 games where the last team that held the ball wins. Um, 
And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I, I certainly hope that the Bills are the ones that have the ball last. All right. One for Buffalo. Kyle, what's your mind thinking here? Uh, my mind is my mind is telling me Kansas City, but my heart's going with Buffalo. My heart's going with Buffalo. <laughs> I just for me, when you watch athletes, that that picture and envision, you know, when Stefan Diggs gets back to the locker room, looks the next day, and you're watching him stand out on the field and watching the Chiefs celebrate the AFC championship game. As an athlete going into the next season, you know that's the team you're ultimately going to face. That this was their test. This is their test to see how true they are as such a great competitor, not only in the NFL, but to this team. Because this is going to be a team that's not going away anytime soon either. They're going to be a team that's going to be around for the next five-plus years, Kansas City Chiefs. That's going to be their guy at the end of the tunnel that they're going to be facing in the AFC, whether it's in a divisional round or a first round or an AFC championship game for years to come. And I think with the roster that they have assembled, I think that in terms of personnel, I don't know how much of a better opportunity that you can have. With maybe the exception of the health of Tredavious uh, White, I don't, I don't really know how much of a better personnel that you could have to beat this Kansas City Chiefs team. The offensive line has looked formidable. Josh Allen has looked unstoppable. They finally have a solidified run game. And the Chiefs' deficit is only going to favor this Buffalo Bills team, especially with the receiving core that they've developed in the fact that Chavarius Ward is, is not very good and the secondary as a whole, with really the exception of Tyron Matthew is not very good. They give up a lot of passing yards. And if they can't rush the passer, Greg, like you said, it's going to be a long day for this Kansas City team. And the offense has the capabilities to get them back in the game. But what Josh, what, what Josh Allen proved to, let alone the Buffalo Bill fans, but the NFL, is that he can put up numbers in big-time moments, right? Because, I mean, we, you look at the Colts game last year in the playoffs. That was a shaky game by Josh Allen. Yep. This was a prove-it game against – not only a tremendous defense, but a Bill Belichick defense. Now you're going up against this Kansas City Chiefs team where the front four, front seven are good, but that secondary is a pass. That's a quarterback stream, and he has the opportunity to do so, and I think they're going to get it done. I like it. All right, so it rests on my shoulders here to see if we go for a clean sweep for Buffalo. Now, I really like – the improvement Kansas City's made throughout the course of the season as far as their defense is concerned. They have a defensive coordinator that's won Super Bowls with multiple different organizations, one that beat Tom Brady. And offensively, they have a very young offensive line, right? They traded for Orlando Brown, who's still on his rookie deal, I believe. And then you drafted Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, right? What was the biggest problem with Kansas City last year? Both of their tackles were hurt in the Super Bowl, and they couldn't block the Bucks pass rushers, JPP, Shaq Barrett, Devin White, etc. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are more vulnerable this year than ever. We saw them lose to the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't like what they have at the running back position right now. And I mean it's not awful, but it's it's nothing to really, you know, go crazy over. I think Buffalo is the better football team. They've had it. See, it's weird because this season, all right, well, Buffalo lost to Jacksonville, had a bad game. They got blown out by the Colts, had a bad game. But what they've been able to do as of late, they beat New England twice. You know, obviously the the Jets, that was an easy game for them. But I think Kansas City's a little more shaky right now. I do think Kansas City will be consistently in the playoffs, making the Super Bowl. But I think this is the one year that they get knocked out short of the Super Bowl, I'm taking the Buffalo Bills to win this game. And that's not a heart pick. That's a mind pick. I mean, do I want the Bills to win this game? Yes. But realistically speaking, I think they did it once. Why can't they do it again? 
on the biggest stage. They're more prepared for this game. They watched the film from last year. Kyle, you brought it up. Diggs was watching them celebrate last year. Yeah. You really think they're going to let that happen to them again in the same stadium? Absolutely not. I'm taking Buffalo. <laughs> and I feel pretty confident in Buffalo as well. I love to hear it. Uh, and I'll, I'll give a, a good way for people to think about it as they go into the game. It's going to be – we're going to have a pretty good indicator quickly because if Kansas City comes out hot, it's going to be back and forth. If they do what they did against Pittsburgh, which you know people remember the final score, their first five possessions were three punts and two turnovers. Yeah, You do that in this game, you may not be able to get back into it. So they're going to need to figure out a way to come out a little bit faster. But if they do, uh, like I said, hey, I think we could have a, a historic game and, and a crazy one back and forth. Uh, but I, I certainly hope you guys are right. <laughs> the only thing that makes me hesitant is it, it's hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes, right? That's yep. If and were, uh, yeah. Kyle was saying that you were it was right in the edge. I thought you were going to say it. I think Mahomes and Allen is going to be the new Brady and Manning. I think that we're going to see them back and forth for a decade. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I think that one of those two could represent the AFC. You know, I think Herbert will make some noise. I think Burrow will make some noise. But, you know, I think Allen and Mahomes are going to have an awful lot to say about who represents the AFC in the Super Bowl for the next decade. Well, Greg, we've had a lot of fun talking with you tonight. A lot of great thoughts. Um, anything you wanted to add? All, and if you can plug your podcast as well sure. and where people can find you. Sure. No, I appreciate the opportunity. It's great talking to you guys all the time. Um, you know, come on over, find us at Cover One. You can find us on the, our Cover One YouTube channel at Cover One Online. You can find me at Greg Thompson. You see right uh, down below here. Um, we have all kinds of different stuff. So obviously I focus mainly on the bills, uh, but we have guys who do draft work. We have a fantasy show. We have betting analysis. We have all kinds of fun stuff over at Cover One. Uh, so come on over, check us out. Some of the best film work you'll see um, all over the place. And obviously as we get to the off season, uh, we'll be talking a lot more about the front office and coaching changes. So so uh, maybe I'll be back on with you guys pretty soon here. If we see a shift uh, heading your way, we can talk a little bit more detailed about what you might uh, expect with some new leadership for the Jets. Yeah, if we get Shane and da- and uh, Dable, we may have yeah, to. Yeah, uh, Dable. We may have to have you back on very very soon <laughs> to talk about that. But. <laughs> Whew, let's have fun. Let's have some fun this weekend first. <laughs> Thank you so. Appreciate you guys. Best of luck to you and your Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Thank you. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Greg. That was Greg Tomset of Cover One for the Buffalo Bills and Kyle. Uh, what a show this was tonight. A real dandy. Good one. If that you was a good me. one. Uh, worth the wait, folks, if you stuck with us to hear it from Greg. I was very torn on who I was going to pick in that game until I heard the confidence coming from Greg. I was a little taken back when he said that the Bills and Chiefs are the two best. I still think it's Green Bay, Tampa Bay right now. I still think those are the two best teams in football. You know, Brady I think and that, Rodgers. I think that if Tampa is healthy, yes. But we don't even know what their health status is. Obviously, it's difficult to bet against Tom Brady. Yeah. But when you look at all-around complete teams, right, you have to yeah. you have to put the Bills into account, like I alluded to at least you in do. my argument, is really with the exception of Tredavious White, which is which is huge, you don't get me wrong. How much of a better personnel is this team going to get to win a Super Bowl? Right. Maybe a little bit improvement upon an O-line and a little bit better in the pass rushing category, but I don't think you can get much better than what they have. Yeah. 
I agree. It's going to be interesting to see what happens on Sunday. And folks, we appreciate everybody tuning in tonight. Make sure to go check us out on all of our social media platforms below at Review and Preview. On behalf of Kyle Russo, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long. Have a good evening. We'll be back next week with more NFL playoffs talk and much more. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live and YouTube. Have a good night, everybody.